0: I can say this without getting emotional, but you know we both wanted this uh, game a heck
1: heck of a lot. You know, both of us as teams fought our ass from the bottom up. By God, I can mention we have a lot of respect for you, your damn fine football team. And congratulations
0: on winning the title. I'm just going to say this. By God, go out to the coast and kick their ass because we're all damn tired.
2: For many IU fans, that video needs no introduction. But... In case you are hearing it for the first time, those were the words of Bill Mallory on November 14th, 1987, in the Michigan State locker room after the Spartans defeated Indiana 27-3, clinching a berth for the Spartans in the Rose Bowl. Now, had the Hoosiers won that game, it would have been Indiana heading to Pasadena. And I know that sounds crazy. Indiana playing a November football game with a Rose Bowl berth on the line as does the idea of Indiana playing in six bowl games in eight years, as does the idea of the Indiana football coach being named Big Ten Coach of the Year in back-to-back seasons, but that all happened too. At a school with so many coaching legends who have achieved remarkable, historical results, what Coach Mallory achieved as Indiana's head football coach can sometimes go overlooked. But Coach Mallory, with a disciplined, hard-nosed, lock-your-jaw approach, lifted the Indiana football program to heights that it had never seen before, and that it hasn't seen since. If you grade it on a proper curve, it really is one of the most impressive coaching jobs that has ever been done at Indiana University. And it wasn't just about the wins and losses. As you are going to hear in this special edition episode of The Assembly Call, which features interviews with a handful of Mallory's former players dating all the way back to his time at Colorado, he was a coach who actually took the student part of student athlete seriously. And, you know, some people think that you need to cut corners academically or run a gimmicky system to consistently win football games at a place like Indiana. Coach Mallory proved that you don't. He did it his way, he won a lot of games, and the boys who came to play for him became better men because of it. Indiana University is better because of it. So, you may be wondering, why are we doing a tribute to Coach Mallory on a basketball podcast? Well, because, and I say this without a trace of hyperbole, there would be no assembly call were it not for Coach Mallory. As you may know, because I've mentioned it on the show before, my dad, Bob Morris, coached under Bill Mallory at Indiana from 1984 to 1993. He was Mallory's defensive backs coach uh, at Indiana, the same position that he coached for him at Northern Illinois. He also played for Coach Mallory at Colorado. And had Coach Mallory not brought my dad with him to Indiana when I was just three years old, and had he not succeeded in creating a stable program over the next decade plus, I probably never would have had the chance to fall in love with and idolize Jay Edwards and Calvert Chaney and Greg Graham and so many others, all while doing the same with Anthony Thompson and Lance Brown and Thomas Lewis and on and on. I mean, think about how good Indiana was in both football and basketball in the mid-80s and early 90s. It's easily the best run of sustained success that the two programs have ever shared simultaneously, And I was lucky enough to be running around on the field as a ball boy at Memorial Stadium and then to have seats a few rows behind the IU bench at Assembly Hall. What a childhood. I mean, how could I not develop a lifelong connection to Indiana? And look, my dad obviously deserves a huge amount of the credit for this. His hard work earned him a long-term spot on Coach Mallory's staff, a staff where there wasn't much turnover. I mean, those spots were rare and they were valuable. And my dad had one. And, of course, he couldn't have had the coaching career that he did without my mom doing all that she did. And so she deserves a ton of credit, too. But none of it happens at all without Coach Mallory's leadership and his success. And that's who this episode is about, Coach Mallory. It's about how he was as a coach and who he was as a man from the perspective of the men who played for him. Coach Mallory won a lot of games, but as you'll hear, more importantly, He improved a lot of lives. As I said, his players were better men because they played for him. And that, more than banners, more than wins, or more than memorable locker room speeches memorialized on YouTube, is the true long-term measure of a coach. And by that measure, the measure that matters, Coach Mallory is one of the best who has ever done it. In this episode, which I'm going to present without any ads, without any interruptions, you are going to hear from five men whose experiences with Coach Mallory span from his early days at Colorado all the way into the 90s at Indiana. They tell their stories and they share the lessons that they learned. You're going to hear from my dad first. It's the most obvious place for me to start. But, you know, his is also one of the most unique perspectives that you can find on Coach Mallory's career, because my dad was with Coach Mallory for more of it than, shoot, I mean, pretty much anyone other than Mrs. Mallory. He played for Coach Mallory at Colorado. He was a graduate assistant at Colorado. Then he was Coach Mallory's assistant at Northern Illinois, then an assistant in Indiana. In all, it was roughly two decades of working closely with Coach Mallory. So my dad obviously has got plenty of stories and plenty of lessons, many of which he passed down to me. Then you'll hear from Greg Farrell, who played for Coach Mallory at Indiana. He was on the team that trounced Ohio State in 1988. He also (laughs) once came within inches of tackling Coach Mallory from a full-on sprint, so worked up from how hard Coach Mallory was riding him at practice one time. It's a great story, Uh, and Greg tells that one and several others. After that, you're going to hear from Steve Hirsch, who played for Coach Mallory at Northern Illinois. Steve tells the story of the time Coach Mallory actually passed out at halftime, having worked himself up into such a frenzy, trying to motivate his team after a lackluster first half. You won't be surprised how the team played in the second half uh, of that game, and Steve tells a bunch of other great stories as well. After that, you will hear from two players who played for Coach Mallory at Colorado, Willie Brock and Chuck McCarter. Both men discuss how close those Colorado teams were and still are because of Coach Mallory's leadership. Willie tells the story of the time Coach Mallory unapologetically left two star players at the hotel when they didn't make it to the bus on time. And then uh, about the time Coach Mallory went for a nice run with him until the final half mile when things got really, really competitive. Uh, Chuck uh, McCarter tells a story of the time Coach Mallory made an example out of him at practice during a goal-line tackling drill and why even though he felt like he'd been hit by a car afterwards, it profoundly impacted his own belief in himself. And there are many more. (laughs) It won't surprise you to know that everybody talks about Mallory time and the impact that that had on them. And I can say that shoot Mallory time had an impact on me as well and still does to this day. I like, I'm just really grateful to my dad for helping to set these interviews up. Uh, And I'm so grateful uh, to him, uh, to my dad for taking the time to talk with me. And then, uh, you know, to Greg and to Steve and to William to Chuck for taking the time to share their insights and share their stories and share their love for coach Mallory with me and in turn with you. Um, And I mean, look, I could have gotten so many more. It's amazing how many of Coach Mallory's players want to take the time to talk about him and share their stories and speak from the heart about what he meant in their lives. But I had to cap it here just so that I could actually get this episode out. But rest assured, what you're going to hear in this episode is only a small cross section of the many hundreds of players whose lives were forever touched by their experience with Coach Mallory. The memorial service and the celebration of life for Coach Mallory are being held this Saturday, June 2nd in Bloomington. The service will be at 10 o'clock a.m. at First United Methodist Church on 4th Street. Then there will be a celebration of life ceremony at Memorial Stadium. Uh, That begins at 1.30 p.m. That that event is open to the public with seating in the East Stands. The gates are going to open at 12.30. Both of my parents are going to be there. Uh, You know, my mom and dad uh, absolutely revere Coach Mallory uh, like few other people in their lives. And, you know, based on their reverence and the impression that Coach Mallory's larger-than-life presence had on me when, when I was just a young boy running around the coach's offices and running around Memorial Stadium, he's had a major impact on my life, too. And I won't be in Bloomington this Saturday, but I do hope that this episode serves as a worthy tribute to a man who made such a large and positive impact on so many people, including me. Rest in peace, coach. You will be missed, but never forgotten. All right, well, I am joined on this edition of the Assembly Call by a very special guest. It is my dad, Bob Morris, uh, making his first appearance on the Assembly Call. This is the first time that you've been on the show, correct? Yes. And, you know, obviously we both wish that it were under different circumstances, but thanks for for taking some time to chat with us.
1: Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Jared. Uh, Yes, Coach Mallory's had a big impact on my life. I know we did a project uh, this this year uh, and and you had me go through my life and that story worth. And one of the questions you asked me was, which individual besides your dad had the most impact on your life? And the person I first thought of was Bill Mallory. The second would have been my high school coach, Sam Pagano. But Bill shaped me as a young player at Colorado and then gave me my first coaching job when we went to Northern Illinois and then uh, thought enough of the job I'd done there to bring us down to Indiana where we spent 10 glorious years. And um, my boys, you and and Joshua, both grew up Hoosiers. Even though I'm a Buffalo and graduated from Colorado, it seems like, we have Buffalo blood on one side and then, you know, a part of our family, you know, grew up losers and will always be losers. And a lot of my best friends to this day are the friends I made at Indiana. And that's, and no, you can't uh, underestimate the impact that Bill has on that because everything that Bill did at Indiana University was based on family, whether it was with the alumni, whether it was it with the players, whether it was with the coaches, families, um, everything dealt with family and trying to be the very best we could do at what we were doing. And it's been interesting the last week reading all of the the stories that have been shared on Facebook. And I think myself and Steve Stripling are the two players, are the two people, individuals that played for Bill at Colorado. Then Steve and I were graduate assistants for him and then followed him to Northern Illinois and then followed him to Indiana. So we're kind of the bridge between the players that played for Bill and the stories that they have and then the coaches and the stories that we have. And so I kind of bridge that gap between the stories of the players from Colorado and then the stories of the players that I coached. And it's eerie how similar the experiences are and sitting in the front row of a team speech, the first meeting of the year and the seniors are in front and Bill's going around and, you know, pointing fingers and going through the schedule and in his way that he could only do, you know, foam coming out of his mouth and the people in the front row, you know, <laughs> having a rag to wipe it off. And and it suggests, but that's just the way it was and just the intensity that he spoke with and how important that first meeting was from a player's perspective and then from a coach's perspective, um, yeah, his his impact goes far beyond the players and the coaches. It it, it extends Farther than we'll ever know, I think.
2: So, so take me back to when you played for him, because he—correct me if I'm wrong. He didn't recruit you to Colorado, right? But he—he he, was there a coaching change, and he came in midway through. Yes. Okay. Yes, I
1: was. Uh, rec- I was recruited by Eddie Crowder's staff. Jim Mora was was actually the coach that recruited me and was my position coach. Uh, I was recruited to Colorado off of a team that was third in the country. Uh, we went to a bowl game. My freshman year and then with a team that was basically sophomores kind of floundered Then the next two years and after a five and six season which would have been my uh freshman year uh Bill my redshirt freshman year Bill Mallory came in and so Bill was my coach for my last three years at Colorado and as is the case in most coaching changes we went from a laissez-faire head coach Eddie Crowder who was kind of a Walk around the field. Let the assistant coaches coach. Uh, there's a hierarchy. The good players got away with things. The poor players didn't. Now bring in a Bill Mallory, who's an old school Ohio Buckeye um, type of uh, get after it football coach, and the it was definitely a culture shock for 1970s Boulder, Colorado, being coached by somebody with. Ohio State and Miami Ohio roots. and we went from everybody living in their own uh, apartments off campus to now being in Bracket Hall. He brought everybody into Bracket Halls because the reason he did that, I later found out, was because he didn't have phone numbers to anybody. He didn't know how to get a hold of anybody to hold a team meeting, and so he said, "We're going to by God, we're going to get those guys in the dorm so we can get a hold of them." And so, <laughs> sure enough, we went into. We all moved into Bracket Hall, and um, and then from there, uh, you know, Bill Mallory coached us and coached us hard. And I know Dave Logan, who was probably one of the blue chip, one of the many blue chip players we had on our team, and had an illustrious NFL career, said it best this week that you know Bill coached the best player and the the walk on just the same. Expected the best out of them, no matter what their ability was. And he pushed you to get it out of it, and it wasn't for everybody. And as a player, I don't think we realized that at the time, but you realize it years later, and you realize it when you're to that end. And the, the the ones that stay will be champions. Registers in your mind that what we went through was worth it. Maybe we didn't like it when we were going through it, all those um, eight eight station workouts in this in the summer all those 40s after practices that um, <laughs> you know have a life of their own, and then the, the physical tough practices that we had and how demanding they were. And through all of that, my senior year, then we, went, we won the Big 8 title, we tied for the title and went to the Orange Bowl with a team that ended up having 10 of the 11 players on, on the offense drafted. And there was, uh, I think there were 27 players at Colorado that were drafted in the NFL in bill's time there and that's when it was the big eight and uh with oklahoma nebraska oklahoma state kansas kansas state um you know it was it was the best football of of the time and uh and so bill found a way and the thing that i appreciate most about bill's staff is in hindsight is they all came from ohio but they all came to colorado to be part of colorado football they all got their cowboy boots they all started skiing i mean they they all became part of Colorado, just like Bill became the fabric of Bloomington. Those coaches all became fabric of Boulder, Colorado. I, I got the opportunity then when Bill left to be a, a graduate assistant for Chuck Fairbanks. And his staff was completely the opposite. They came to use the Colorado football program and the players of Colorado for the next best job. Bill's staff was never like that. They wanted to get the best out of us, to make us the best we could be for us to win for Colorado, and nothing about their own careers. It was never about their own careers. It was always about the team. It was never about the league.
2: what I, what I'm what sorry. was it about his leadership style that that led to that, you think?
1: Um, it was very consistent. it was um, he was the same guy every day of, you know as a as a player. Um, you knew when you went to practice, there were certain expectations. You had to practice hard or you'd be called out about it. You needed to know what you were doing or you'd be called out about it. If you didn't run, I I was mentioning about the 40s after Monday's practice, which was basically a 45-minute walkthrough, then we would run 40s. And like the DBs would run and the linebackers would run and the defensive line, each position group would run, and you would run a 40. And if everybody ran it through 40 yards, 41 yards, and you didn't get called back if one guy out of that group didn't run it full speed, you heard the whistle and that meant you had to run it back. Not only did you have to run it back, you had to run it back the other way. So he was down at the other end. So it meant two extra. And those, I mean, they're, they're legendary. Some of it's having 23, 40 yard sprints, I think one week. And that was after a victory. And that was basically the way it was after a victory. He got your feet right back on the ground. And, uh, just to jump forward ahead a little bit, I know as a coach, and and going through all of our records, we never lost. In all the time I was with Bill, we never lost to a team that we should have beaten. We always beat the teams we should we could have beat, and that's because he coached his hardest and we coached our hardest on those games where maybe there would have been a letdown. The Ohio State and Michigan weeks, I tell you, Bill was on cruise control because he knew the players would take care of it, and. And, and then, you know, we would obviously, you know, play some really play some no good games against those guys. But he's very demanding, very consistent. The players always knew that in the end, he, he, was, he had their best. He wanted the best for them, and he was always trying to get the best out of them. Didn't like it going through the process, and it was hard, but he was very consistent in the way he coached and, and what he expected of people.
2: So let's, let's talk about Coach Mallory's time at Indiana. And you were uh, with him at Indiana from 84. You came over with him from Northern Illinois uh, all the way until right. 93. So you were there for the six bowl games in eight years. You were also there for the 0-11 season that started it. It's funny that you mentioned that right. StoryWorth project a little bit. Right before you called, I was actually going through and editing some of those so I can print that book out. Um, and I was reading the story that you wrote about that 0-11 season. And about how yep. you know you had been telling the players, look, if you guys do what we ask and you execute the game plan and you play well and you play hard, the wins will come. And you had that game against Illinois, uh, you know, where you, you you're playing it Chuck you Iowa. Play, or Iowa, Iowa. That's what I meant. You know, Iowa. Yeah, yeah, you're playing Chuck Long, and uh, you know you have this great game plan. They execute it, you know, but they they ended up pulling it out in the end. But you talked about how that team even though they went 0-11, you know, the buy-in from the seniors and how hard they worked really set the foundation for everything that was to come. And, you know, there's an interesting parallel there, you know, with Indiana basketball and what they went through with Archie Miller last year, where, you know, it's right. a really tough first year, but you're kind of building that foundation. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, how Coach Mallory came in and kind of approached that situation with the team that obviously he didn't recruit, uh, you know, right. but had his vision for what he wanted Indiana football to be and what that transition was like through those first couple of years.
1: Yeah. When we, when we came to Indiana, we, our offices were still in assembly hall back in the, uh, would have been the Southwest uh, corner. I had my meetings down in the hallway of assembly hall in, in one of those hallways and went down to the uh, bottom level. Uh, the weight room was over on the East side of, uh, of the basketball arena. And we actually had to open the door and do sit-ups outside. So, I mean, we had lousy facilities, to be honest, when we went there. But the team was our team. It didn't matter whether we recruited them or not. They were our team. And the guys that stayed, and we lost, lost quite a few players. And we had some guys that were really good players that Bill had to call out, and we lost along the way. But in the end, the players that were there for all 11 weeks, you know, played hard for us. And we did have a vision for them. And we knew the victories weren't coming. But we kept telling them that you keep playing hard and you keep doing the things we're going to tell you. We've been through this before, we did it at Colorado, we did it at Northern Illinois. The wins will come. And so that game against Iowa um, was a perfect example. We played I mean, we played our butts off, and we did a lot of really good things in that game and had a great game plan. And in the end, Chuck Long made a play, and they beat us, and I'll never forget seeing Chris Ziegler. In the locker room, Chris was a starting safety for us and one of those seniors that really led us and, and helped us get to where we were a competitive team, even though we were 0-11 in the 11th week of the season. And I remember Chris coming in and he said, Coach, you said if we did everything you told us to do, that we would win and we didn't win. And I, I couldn't say anything to him because they had. They had done everything we had asked them to do. And seeing Chris Ziggle, I think I saw Chris at one of the reunions here back in the eighties or back uh, twenty years ago. I think we had a reunion, and um, and and one thing Bill did, he made those guys all a part of all of our reunions. When we had a bowl game, those guys were always invited. And you know, when we reminisced a little bit about that, and Chris is a very successful businessman now and, and family man. So, but that's that's just the way it is. Bill would get this vision for for a team, and just um you know lay it out for them, and then we would just drill it into them. and that team set a foundation and let the younger guy in that senior class show the younger guys what it's like to lead and bill always put the leadership on the seniors he would the seniors would sit up front and if they weren't sitting up front that first meeting he would call him up front he didn't let him take a back seat. he didn't let him not be a leader he would call him out and he would lead him and he would depend on them to lead and, and to give insights if if things needed to be done that weren't being done. And, and then we recruited guys like Radke and Schrader and guys that were probably not recruited by a lot of the big 10 schools out there, but they were Indiana guys and they came down and those guys then ended up playing at freshmen and redshirt freshmen. And we recruited a guy by the name of Anthony Thompson had no business coming to Indiana, but he did because of bill. And then get a guy like Dave Schnell, who, you know, was recruited by a bunch of really good schools. But Dave saw vision. And one thing Bill did was he put Steve Trippley and I in charge of recruiting the state of Indiana, just like he had done at the state in Colorado and just like he had done it at, Illinois, at Northern Illinois made Chicago, our home state. That's the way it was in Indiana. And we we recruited the heck out of the state and got some really good players. You look at our teams, and, yes, we got some players from out of state, but our really good players—the Ernie Jones, the Dave Schnell, the Rob Turner, Bon uh, Dunbar—those guys are all all a uh, Randy Schneider. Those guys are all Indiana players. And and then yes, we, we went down south and went to New York City and St. Louis and recruited some other places. But the but the we were going to win with Indiana kids, and we we did a lot of clinics over the state to uh, service the high school coaches. We built our camp up from 50 to 350 over the years. We were there to service again, make Indiana football better, and that made us better. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that's just that's just the way Bill Bill built the program, uh, built it on Indiana players, and yeah. So that that first team was special, and they they built the foundation for what then you know the, the winning that took place you know the next eight years.
2: Yeah, well, and and a lot of winning took place and uh, a lot of success that Indiana hadn't seen before and hasn't seen since. You you beat Michigan and Ohio State in the same season. You beat Ohio State back-to-back seasons, the bowl games. What was it about, and, and you've mentioned some of the things so far, but what are maybe some other things or the most special things about Coach Mallory that allowed him to come in, in particular to Bloomington, You know, a place where, you know, football is obviously not as popular as basketball, but he was able to come in and have that kind of success that hadn't been seen before, that hasn't been equaled since. Why was he the one that was able to come in and do that?
1: I think it was his vision for what the Indiana football program was going to be about, the type of player that succeeded under our type of program. We didn't get a lot of blue chip guys. Our recruiting classes, if you go back and look at all the recruiting classes that we were there, we, we were either 10th or 9th or 8th. I don't think we were ever in the top five. Maybe once or twice we were, uh, you know, when we got an Anthony Thompson or something like that. But we took a bunch of just good co- or good high school football players that love to play the game that for some reason were overlooked either maybe by stature now that I've been an NFL scout for 15 years, I can talk more about traits. They maybe were a little bit undersized coming out of high school, but there was something we saw in their film, like a, a Whittington that was a, a tall, slender, undersized defensive end that red-shirted, and then his fourth or fifth year became a dominant player and, and had a long career in the NFL. So those were the type of guys we recruited, guys that could succeed in our program that would not – They allowed if they were coached hard because sometimes you can recruit some of these blue chippers and they've, they never had to to be, to be pushed their whole life. And they, those guys wouldn't make it because they were going to be pushed. We're going to push them. And fortunately for us, our best players, the Anthony Thompson's of the world were our hardest workers and our best leaders. And that made it easier for us as coaches. And so that it's just, you know, the vision he had as a head coach of the type of player we needed. And there, there are several instances um, of blue chip, Indiana players that would come down to Indiana and visit. And Bill could just tell that they didn't like it there, But they were looking other places and we were, he, and they were just taking the, taking the Indiana visit just to be nice to us. Oh, he hated that. He, <laughs> he despised that. Rick Meyer is one name that comes to mind. Um, And then another one was a running back that ended up going to Georgia that Bill saw it in his eyes. He didn't even offer the guy, you know, Mm -hmm. on Sunday. And, and I remember that was when Penn state was coming in the league. Mm -hmm. They were just coming in and Joe Paterno was offering guys that juniors. And that's, that was a new ball game for us because Bill would not offer a guy until he saw the whites of his eyes and he could look him in the eye and offer that scholarship and shake his hand and, you know, for him to offer a scholarship to a guy that he hadn't seen. I mean, that was a different world. And that was a world that we tried to get him to, to, to get accustomed to our, the last years that I was there at Indiana because the world of recruiting was changing and he, and he came around, but Bill was all about the people. He was all about the person. He was all about seeing him in the eye and shaking his hand and getting a feel for him, seeing him around our players. If he didn't get a good vibe from the guys, he didn't want him. And it didn't matter how good he was. And, you know, so as an assistant coach, you're bringing a guy in and you have a host host with them, you know, you're doing all you can for that guy to put his best foot forward. Because if he doesn't, he's adios, and he may end up playing against you. Hmm. So, you know, it was – that that's just the way it was. And so, yeah, we didn't get all of good players, but the players we got believed in Indiana, loved Indiana, and played their butts off, as I think the the fans for that era uh, will attest to. So
2: I want to know some of your favorite stories of Coach Mallory. You know, since uh, since he passed, one video that's been passed around a lot on social media is the video when he went in the locker room uh, after the Michigan State game and that great 30-minute yep. speech that he gives, which is just, I mean, that is, to me, like, that's just one of the most quintessential moment, Coach Mallory moments that there is. Um, what are some of the stories, you know, from, you know, big Um, stories like that to just, you know, little, uh, little moments here and there that, that stick out to you when you think back uh, to your many years with him?
1: There have been so many shared over on Facebook over the last week that just (laughs) bring back memories to me. There was, as a player, there was a time at Iowa state where we were getting our butts kicked at, and he had, he had put his, his hand through a cardboard. Through a chalkboard and had a cast on it. And, and he was banging the lockers after every, every, the defensive guys were sitting around, he was banging his hand and the lockers going through and we're going to do this. And we played like crap and we got to go out and we got to win. We're going to win this game. And, you know, sure enough, we did. We we were on the road and we ended up beating Iowa state that last year, which was a a big win for us. This just intensity um, of the moment and the right time. So I remember that as a player, And then one, I think this this story has probably been told before, but we had beaten Ohio State in '87, and we're playing them again at our place in '88. And we had had a lackluster Thursday practice, and a Thursday practice should be snappy, sharp. You're going through down and distance. You should know everything. If you're you're on defense, we were making checks, and we were. This is our best third down place. We make a check. We're going to do this, and on offense you know, running their scripts and going down and making sure we know what to check to. And Bill just had a bad feeling about the practice. And so, I mean, he, he blew the whistle, sent the players in and, and said, uh, we're going to meet in the in the um, team meeting room, which we normally didn't do on Thursday. And he called the coaches up and, he you know, pointed his fingers and I just don't have a good, I just don't have a good feel for this team and we're going to get to the bottom of it. And so we went into the team meeting, and Bill's just, you know, talking. He's pacing back and forth, and he's just, you know, basically saying that. I just don't have a great feel. I don't think we respect the Buckeyes, and you got to respect the Buckeyes. And, you know, we don't – we we just aren't ready to play this game, and I'm afraid that, you know, they're going to come in here with their – you know, after what we did to them last, they're going to be ready. And, and right in the middle, as, as he's walking around, Gene Boyd, who was one of our seniors, got up. He's in the fourth row. He said Coach, now, don't worry about it. we got this. Hmm. And that's all he had to say meeting was over and we beat him 31 to 17 or something like that. One of the best games that we ever played. And so, I mean that just that, and just, just his, his, when this is, this is typical bill Mallory during the week, he was a bad cop. I mean, he was, he was on the players. And if you had played bad, he probably had a special eye towards you on that week to make sure he was getting the best out of you. And he was, he could see any, any drill from any part of practice. And there was one time we were, the defensive backs were tackling and we probably hadn't tackled very well the week before. And so we had a 10 minute drill every day or or every padded day for, 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 uh, tackling. So he comes down with about two minutes left in the drill and we're doing a, we did a live tackle every day. We had to put a guy on the ground and coach Mallory came down and watched the last couple and, of course, I'm coaching the defensive backs, and they aren't tackling very good. And the drill ends up lasting 20 minutes. And, I, you know, at that point, I had lost control of the drill, and Bill Mallory was now running the drill. And I'm just looking around at the other coaches, and I'm saying, guys, I, you know, he's in charge now. And so, it was, so that, that tackling drill took about 20 minutes, and we probably ended up having our best tackling game of the year you know, the next, the next year, but or the next week, but mm-hmm. that's just the way it was. He saw everything going on and he wasn't afraid to step in. He was one of those head coaches that knew the offense, knew the defense, knew everything that was going on. He was a highest paid GA because, you know, Steve Stripling coached the defensive line and coach Mallory would take those nose guards 10 minutes before practice. And if the nose guards and the scout team offensive line could make it to the start of practice, they were happy mm-hmm. because he put those nose guards through about 10 minutes of, of, reading helmets and reading blocking schemes and, and that, you know, call call them up to practice. But, uh, so that's just the way it was. And I just need to tell one personal story that happened at NIU. Um, my dad was your, your grandfather mm-hmm. was always around the program. When I was at Colorado, he'd come watch practice. And then when I came to Northern Illinois, Bill, my dad would come out for a couple of weeks. And there was one week that we were going down to play Miami of Ohio. And, and Bill invited my dad to come with us. So he joined the team on the bus ride down. Uh, he, he ate at the team meal with us He went to chapel with us. My dad read the book cradle of coaches on the way down and we were practicing on Friday, he went and walked the campus and you know, my dad was, I mean, he, he, he was just, his eyes were just starry. I mean, he couldn't believe what he was doing. And then he was in and, and, but he was kind of in the back. He didn't want to be, be a bother. And so he's in the locker room in pregame and Bill's going through all the pregame talk. And, and dad wants to know where he's going to say, dad, you're coming with me. We're going up in the press box. And so I kind of have to pull him along. And so he used to, to watch me work in the press box when I watched all of my games and we ended up playing, we ended up beating them 17 to nothing. My secondary played as good as one of those games that you just want to, you know, put in a time capsule and say, this is the way we do it. Steve Hirsch had two interceptions, ran one back for a touchdown. And we ended up winning 17 and nothing. Uh, and you know, so for for Coach Mallory to open that weekend up for my dad and me was special and it was a, a memory that we'll never forget. And then we got back to Northern on Monday and Buck Sewer was in charge of because we had a, a little graveyard. We started it back at NIU that we brought to IU and Buck told a story of how my dad, you know, got a feather from the from the redskin that was running the field and gave it to him after the game. And so we buried that. That was part of what we buried. So for even Buck to make him a part of that, but that was all a part of the family. I mean, that that's all that's, that's the way it was with Bill. Everybody, it was just a big family. The great years, great years. And, you know, both my boys graduated from IU. So obviously we have, still have strong ties to Bloomington.
2: Well, and that's, it really felt very familial with the staff at Indiana too. And, and, yeah, you know, that's my next question. We often talk about coaches and how they coach players, but obviously for head coaches, you know, how they coach their coaches and how they lead their staffs is so important. What was coach Mallory like in terms of, you know, how he led you guys as a staff and then just how he, you know, led the uh, the development of chemistry among that staff because a lot of you guys were together at Northern Illinois, came over at Indiana and were together for so long. I mean, you don't often see staff stay together, especially in this day and age, as long as that staff stayed together and the continuity that you guys yeah. had at Indiana.
1: Yeah, our, um, there were a bunch of new guys that that joined Bill at Northern Illinois that hadn't been in Colorado, a couple that were from Colorado. And then when we went to Indiana, you know, that whole staff came down, plus a couple of, of guys that had been with him at Colorado joined our staff. And so we had a, a, a familiarity with everybody. And on defense, we had the same defensive staff for 14 years. We didn't have one change. On offense, they had a few changes in and out. Uh, Bill Lynch came in, and uh, Floyd Keith left to go to, to Rhode Island. And so we had a few changes there on offense. But on defense, we, was, we were the same guys. It was uh, Coach Cannon, Coach Novak, Coach Stripp, and myself. And and that's the way we rolled for 10 years. And um, But Bill coached us hard, and he demanded of us what he demanded of the players. And he would tell stories how Woody would get on, get on him when he was an assistant coach at Ohio State. And so if our players weren't getting it right, it was our problem. And it was up to us to correct. If our players weren't going to class, if they were getting in trouble, and we had to get up for Don Patrol with them at 6 a.m., I don't know how many times I heard Bill, I said, if, if they got me at once, I'd make dang sure they didn't get me up twice. I'd do something to make sure they didn't get, up, get me up twice and so it was our responsibility to make our players reach their potential and play as well as they could, and I know Bill sat me down, because Bill hired me for my first job when I went to Northern, and after a couple of years, I remember him sitting me down and said, Bob, if you're ever going to make it in this game, you're going to have to be more demanding on your players, and that, you know, stuck with me, and I think my Indiana players will attest that that I was demanding in my own way, that I demanded that they do the little things right, and um that you know, I was I was watching every one of their footsteps and I was the guy running with them as we pursued to the ball every day. And um but that's the way he was. And and the one thing that and I don't know if the fans in Indiana appreciate this as much or if they even realized it. Can they Bill never, ever criticized a player in the press after a game. He never once blamed a loss on a player, never once blamed uh a bad play on a player it was always coaches we can do it better we've got to coach him up better that's something that we got to correct and i can remember one bucket game i mean we a game that we should have won and bill didn't say anything in the press and he he ripped us as a coaching staff i mean just we did not have these guys ready that's on us and we're going to make sure this doesn't happen again And we probably had the best off season we ever, I can't remember what year that was, but you know, so that that's the way he was. I mean, he was as demanding. I mean, when we worked, we worked. And yet I think the year off that he had at Colorado made him more family friendly. And so we would come in at 6am on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and get our work done before the phone started. And then after dinner on those nights, we were gone and we were, we were out of there. I think at Monday we had a late practice where he'd done at 7.30. But after practice and dinner, you know, he wanted us home. Make recruiting calls at home. You know, see your kids before they go to bed. And and then on Fridays, basically Fridays was us until we went in at noon. If it was a home game and then if if it was an away game, obviously we're leaving in the morning. Um, And then the families were always around. He always had, you know, at, at the banquet, the families were around. We'd always have some picnic where the families were all around. We have a golf outing in the summer. We do all these golf outings for the alumni, and then we'd have our own golf outing where it was just the coaches and the families. Then we'd get together afterwards. Uh, so there was, and, and the players felt that the players saw all the families around. I know at, at Colorado, we, it was always the coaches would always come for Sunday meals, and so Bill, his his kids were young and so they'd all, he'd bring all his kids around, and, they, and they, the, the team would see that, and the family the family was important. And, um, so those are, those are some memories that just come, come to mind as, as I was going through, through what, what Bill meant, what he did and how he coached coaches and expected as expected as much as of us as he did the players.
2: So when you left in 93 and you took a defensive coordinator position, so were you the yep. first person to leave from that staff? Did that break up the, the streak um, or had someone well, left before that? On,
1: on defense, yes. On defense, yes. Because. Joe had been up for a couple of of head coaching jobs, and had finished second. And so I didn't know. I would hope that Joe would have left, and then either Steve and I would have been the coordinators and move on that way. That would have been my dream. Yeah. But when you get a call from a rival school out of the blue, and you don't do anything except do your job and shut them down for six years, Hmm. and they see that and they respect that, and they call you, and without, I was in Dunwoody High School. In Georgia, and we were going to go be going down to the Independence Bowl, and so, you know, Coach Coletto at Purdue didn't didn't really want to mess with that, but he said, "Hey, the job's yours, but I need you to get you up here." And so I, I went there, and and I ended up taking the job because I didn't know what if Joe was going to ever get a head coaching job. And then he ended up getting the Northern job, I think, the next year. And then Steve Strickland was a coordinator. So, so yeah, I, I did leave, and and Bill was very good about it. Bill said, "If this is." I understand your situation. It's, it's, it's hard to turn down a coordinator job. You've done everything you can here. You deserve it. And the only thing that he said was, you know, Jim had some health issues, make sure those are okay and just make sure he's on firm footing and you know, take it from there. And so I answered all those own questions in my own mind mm-hmm. and, and ended up taking the job. And then, you know, three years later, you know we had some some misfortunes at Purdue where you know we won we lost some games we we shouldn't have lost and a uh, 4 and 1 season turned into 4 5 and 2 was very easily could have been 7 and 3 um, and then the last game for coach Mallory at, at uh, Indiana was Jim Coleto's last game at Purdue too yeah and in my own mind without saying it I knew which team was going to play harder because I'd been involved on the other side for 10 years. And I knew what that team put that head coach meant to that team. And I kind of knew that our guys weren't as, weren't really as locked in and fired up, you know, and we didn't have that team at, we hadn't developed that team atmosphere as much, yeah. not that we hadn't tried because we had, but it just wasn't there as much as it was. And, you know, we were ahead at halftime and uh, uh, they blocked a the punt and that kind of turned it around. And I think the final score was 31 to 17. And, um, but I, I think that just shows you the power that Bill had. I think they had all the alumni from all 10 years on the sideline at the end of that game, you know, willing them to victory, knowing that it, what was happening to Bill shouldn't have been happening, but but it was. He had, we, and then even after I had left, it had built a, a really good program, a sound program, a program that wasn't going to beat Ohio State and Michigan every year, but was going to battle for the title like we did that one year at Michigan State. And go to in that case in that year time it was hard to get to a bowl game, yeah. and we were getting to them. We were finishing third or fourth, and and she was playing Auburn in the Peach Bowl. I mean that was that was big, and playing Tennessee in the Peach Bowl. I mean that that would be like playing in the playing in the Citrus Bowl nowadays. Mm-hmm. I mean that was those were big time bowl games back then, and yet Bill had set a set a certain standard and and. For whatever reason, the fans didn't think it was good enough. And, and yet when I watch Indiana play on TV and find out that the last time they beat Ohio State was 1988, the last time they beat Michigan was 1987, the last time they beat them both was – 19, all these things go back to Bill's era. You know, we had something pretty special. And when you look at what the players are doing now, 30 years later, how successful they are and how together they are, and you see my teammates at Colorado 40 years removed now, and how together they are, and they share the same stories about Bill and the same impact that they had on their lives. A single black kid coming from the ghetto, making it to Colorado, at a time when it was hard to be black at Colorado, and Bill taking him and molding him and helping him, you know, be a man. Um, you know, those stories are repeated at Colorado, at NIU, and at Indiana, time after time after time.
2: You know, and I've always found it so interesting how he continued to support the IU football program despite what happened to him. Um, I know I held a grudge for a long time. Mom, I think, held a grudge for a long time about what happened and didn't, you know, and, you know, I still have never, like, been able to fully embrace IU football since, and it's, you know, it's been a long time, and kind of one of the things that I've reflected on, uh, you know, just over this past week is thinking about The humility that he showed in, you know, caring more about the program and, you know, honestly, like walking the walk of being part of something bigger than himself, you know, and not allowing a personal grudge to mean that he's never going to set foot again, which, you know, it'd be great if all ex-coaches at the university could have the humility and maturity of a coach Mallory. Obviously, that's not the case. Um, But is that... Is that at all surprising to you that he was able to handle that in the way that he has, or is that, is that just exactly what you would expect? No,
1: no. I think it's what I would expect because he knew he had given it his best. And if you didn't think it was good enough, um, and you didn't want him around anymore, then that's, he was going, he was going, he felt, he felt good about what he had done. And, um, you know, and then, you know, the, the guy they brought in there then was just a complete opposite and tore down everything that we had done as far as in-state recruiting and everything. And so that that really took the starch out of, you know, whatever, you know, love we had had for Indiana and what had built up. And so it took a while to get over that. But, um, you know, finally Bill found his way back and got an office in the stadium. And I think it helped to have some of his sons as assistant coaches there to get him back involved and, to this day, I mean, up until he passed away this week, he was supporting the boys' club and a bunch of different – there was a great article in the, in the IU paper, the Bloomington paper, about all the things that Bill had done in Bloomington and uh, supporting Youth Football League and, and all everything that he and Ellie had done. You can't say Bill without saying Ellie, to be honest. And, uh, okay. But they made their home there. They live in the same home they lived in when he was coaching there. And yeah, so I I think it says a lot about the man that, uh, the program was bigger than him and the players that he coached and, uh, brought up were bigger, bigger than he was. And, um, so yeah, it took, it took some time, but, uh, time heals and, and we all now have, have very fond memories of those times, you know, back in, back in the eighties. I think the, the height of Indiana football,
2: it was it was. I think I can hear uh, your granddaughter, my niece, uh, screaming in the background. <laughs> um, so I, yes. I don't, don't, don't want to keep you too much longer, but my last question for you when, you, when you think yes. back to all the time that you spent with Coach Mallory and all the moments that you shared and the lessons that you learned, if there, if, if there would be one thing that me and Joshua, my brother, your other son, one lesson that you could impart on us that you learned from Coach Mallory, what would it be be on time? I got that uh, one. Be respectful. <laughs> I, I you know, I was saying, <laughs> I, I, I tweeted about this the other day. I was like, you know, I, I'm telling you like to this day, I get anxious if I'm not going to be early someplace, like let alone on time, but be early. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that is a direct impact of my dad learning about Mallory time and me just, you know, being around the program as a little, you know, kid running around in knee-high socks and an Anthony Thompson jersey, that just, you know, I, th- I, was, I think you just get that by osmosis when, you, when you're around yeah, the program I was, at that I was time. Sharing,
1: sharing that with you earlier today that, um, I mean, if, if you were the last person in a meeting to come into a meeting and you were 10 minutes early, you got dirty looks from everybody else, all of your coaches and the assistant coach that, that was at your position because, you know, the meeting was going to start five minutes early. And if you weren't in there, you weren't part of it. And so Bill, I mean, when we were getting ready to go for games for buses, everybody would be in the bus 15 minutes early. And so Bill <laughs> would have to wait until the time to leave because we we're getting to the stadium way too early when he was on the bus already and just waiting for everybody else. So he basically had to wait to get on the bus when everybody was there. And, and through the years, we all as coaches had our anxious moments with a certain player that will <laughs> remain nameless that we had to worry about getting there on time. And um, but, but just, being on time and how respectful that is to everybody else around you that they, nobody has to wait on you. And then just giving your best and getting the best out of what you have. And that's important, whether you have a lot, or whether you have a little, you're important. And then as a coach, you know, through all of my years of coaching and then even as a scout that what truly makes a football player isn't necessarily all of the traits that he has, how big he is, how fast he is a lot of it has to do what's in his heart and what he'll give and that that's important too. And you can't overlook that. And, um, so that's, those, those are the the memories that the most important things that I take away from Bill and just the essence of family too. You can't, can't get away from that too. So you you can't boil it into one really. Um, just it's all, it's all wrapped up into one.
2: Well, thank you for taking this time. It's You're been uh, it's good to hear hear these stories and kind of think back about those times because man, those were those were fun times to grow up around. I have to say, I mean, yep. it was it was just a uh, I mean, look, it was the golden age of of IU sports in so many ways with what the basketball team was doing, with what the yeah. football team was doing. There were other sports that were going. I mean, and you had some just absolute coaching titans on campus at that time. I mean, just unbelievable. Yeah. And um, you know. It's, we had uh, some
1: really good football players too. Yeah, okay? We had some guys that busted their tail end and had a vision, and we we did a good job recruiting some guys, and we saw some things in them, and they they were able to to uh, um, reach our potential. And yeah, we it, it was it was really it was some really really good times, and uh, remember them like yesterday. Some of those games and. Floyd Keith driving to the spring game in a, in a white limousine, still driving it right on the field and getting out on the 50-yard line. I mean, you know, you talked about – those. Are, I mean, we worked hard, but then we had our times when we laughed with, with each other too. And I, it was the same with the players. They worked their tails off, but I know they had a good time going to IU too. Mm-hmm. And they have some great stories from, from those times. So, but yeah. you
2: don't have to get that from them. Yeah. I don't know those stories. <laughs> no, we're going to, we're going to get some of those. And I know that you'll be heading up, you'll be, you'll be heading up to Indiana for, for the services yep. and the, the celebration of life afterwards. So, um, I know that'll be both a difficult and probably very joyous occasion, all kind of mixed into one, you know, because you're going to get to see so yeah, well, many different people that you haven't seen and, you know, share some, some great memories. So. Yep. I, uh, but yeah, yep. thank you. Uh, thank you for coming on and oh, sharing, sharing your stories and your memories. You're welcome, it. Jared. All right. All right. Thank we you. Know do. Indiana,
3: Indiana, Indiana, we're all for you.
4: We will fight for the Green Crimson, for the glory of all that you. Go. Never got there. We cannot falter in the battle. We're trying to shoot. Hey. Indiana. Indiana, 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 we're for you, are fight for the green for the glory of all of you, okay. kidding, all in battle
2: I'm joined now by Greg Farrell, who played for Coach Mallory at Indiana. Uh, Greg, thanks for taking the time to join us on the Assembly Call.
5: Thanks for having me, Jared. Appreciate it.
2: Sure. So when, uh, when did you play at IU? What, what years were you playing for Coach Mallory?
5: So I was 88 to ultimately 91. Uh, we played our final game on December 31st. So it really was, I guess it could be 92. It was Copper Bowl, but it okay. was four years.
2: So you were there for the second victory over Ohio State then, right? The, the home victory? Oh, yeah. Okay.
5: Oh, yeah, which was big to me. I was a born and raised an Ohio State fan. Um, and uh, Woody Hayes used to sit on our couch when I was a kid. So we used to, my dad played for Woody. And, uh, so that was, I was big being an Ohio guy, being able to play against and beat the Buckeyes.
2: Yeah. So what, what brought you then to Indiana?
5: Um, Coach Mallory. Yeah. Um, to z- basically this is the majority of it, my recruiting visit, I had, uh, my father who was best man at my wedding. I was extremely close with, uh, across from me was coach Knight and, uh, across from him was coach Mallory. And, uh, it was a pretty intense, uh, <laughs> lunch, but Wait, um,
2: Co- coach Knight was coach there Marrow- on your recruiting visit. Yeah.
5: He sat right across <laughs> from <us. laughs> It's wow. pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. pretty nice. Um I ended up working for him afterwards, uh, for a little while in his office too, so maybe that's for another time. Another <laughs> yeah. couple stories. Yeah. But uh flying the wall <laughs> on that on that office. But um my dad so my dad played for Woody. Uh coach Mallory coached for Woody real quick, just getting what happened with All of us out of Ohio. There were a number of Ohio grads, Ohio kids. Um, I went to Culver Military Academy, so I went away to school. Uh, It's in Indiana, so I was a little bit of an anomaly. But when Coach Cooper got fired, or sorry, when Coach Bruce got fired uh, in November of 88, 87, that basically threw a lot of recruiting. Um, careers up in the, in the air as to where we were all going to be. There were a number of Ohio kids that Mallory was able to steal out of Ohio that had all committed to Ohio State or were very close to doing so. Mm. Um, and I was one of those. So we were, I was all into play, really wanted to play at Ohio State and uh, had a scholarship to play and then Coach Briskett's fired and then uh, Coach Cooper sort of he, had, he definitely tried to um hold down the fort i guess a lot of things but there was just a lot of different conversations uh after that and one of them was to go to michigan where coach schenbeckler had been and uh or was at the time which was my dad's line coach so again an ohio guy obviously went across the border and built what he built in michigan but hmm uh you know, trustworthy coach was what we were looking for. That's what I was looking for was a coach that was a couple things was, was a really good, honorable coach. Um, was somebody that reminded me of coach Hayes, uh, was somebody that reminded me of my father and, uh, somebody that I could really, um, play for, and um, uh, go into battle with. And, uh, Ultimately, I'm with Coach Schimbeckler, and he says uh, to me, You know, do you have any questions for me? I've got all these questions for you. Do you have any questions for me? I said, Yeah. I said, Actually, I just have one. Are you going to be here hmm. uh, and for, fi- for five years? And he's like, No. He goes, One, maybe two. My health sucks. My family's all over me. And uh, he looks right at me and he says, Who else you got? And I said, Well, I really, you know, looking, I've got a lot of other places that I could move out of the Big Ten. And there were a number of things Terry, Larry Smith at at USC and Terry Donahue is at UCLA. And those are all really cool places. And I was looking at a lot of different stuff because it all sort of went up in the air after Coach Bruce got fired. And uh, I said, well, then I got, I got Mallory down at IU and he goes, that's it. Says, hmm. Mallory, Mallory's the one. So basically, through Coach Beckler who his sons obviously played for, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the just the ties were pretty tight, and um, so that was, you know, and they wanted me. I mean, your dad was recruiting Northern Indiana; he was all over me, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, coach Mallory was always came to Culver and visited, which I really appreciated, um, because it was in the middle of Indiana and a bunch of cornfields. So, mm. um, you know, it was a cool thing and the business school was great. So going to Kelly and being a part of that was really the focus of mine. So it all kind of fit.
2: So you make the decision, you come to Bloomington. What was it like then to play for coach Mallory?
5: Um, it was tough, you know, I mean, it was, it was tough, but it was, um, I knew it was going to be tough. I knew it was going to be easy. You know, I knew there were other coaches that, um, you could just feel and you're in the room and you're talking with these guys. I mean, you know, many of the coaches that I named off were all fired the next year, the year after. Um, I can go on and on as far as some of the coaches that you just, you know, just, are they honest? Are they truthful? are they you know are they lying to you the minute they uh you know they speak to you uh because they just want you to be on their team and be another body, or do they really care about you as a person and really want you to succeed? i mean coach was always coach Mallory was always about um but you know saying it's not going to be easy to play for me, but it's going to be fair and uh, you're gonna have to work hard, and you're gonna be better, you know, because of it. He just knew. He just knew if you f- fell in line and you just followed what he believed in and what he was building, that it was, you know, was gonna make you a better person, a better man, everything about. And then, you know, that was playing. But ultimately, down the line, I mean, he made us all better parents, um, better men, better fathers. You know, for a number of reasons, even later in life
2: ever since coach passed obviously there has been just an outpouring of incredible stories and anecdotes from the people who played for him and who knew him what is the quintessential coach mallory story for you
5: oh <laughs> <laughs> i it's, i have a lot of them i it, but for me it was uh it's a story that he doesn't even he didn't even know about we talked about it Um, years ago um, on the golf course and I said, did you ever know that at one time I tried to tackle you from behind and (laughs) he didn't know. He was on me. He was riding me really hard in a practice. I didn't necessarily have the best game the week before Um, and he was just mad at me for not having enough fire, which I thought I had a lot of fire, but I think it was more what he wanted was more fire during the game, not in between plays. Mm. Uh, I was always sort of a cheerleader type, you know, up and down, rah-rah type player. And um, and so I didn't really get what he was talking about, you know. But he's riding me into practice and riding me. And it's just this is about fire. It's about fire. Greg, fire, fire, Farrell. More fire. You know, I just wouldn't stop and just cap on, pounding on me, pounding. And we'd run a play, and, of course, that wasn't good enough. So he's all, you know, and he's basically picked me out, and he's just doing what he does. And it's all about fire, fire, more fire, Pharaoh, more fire. <laughs> and uh, I'm just getting madder and matter and madder, madder <laughs> and they've ends up, he's like, ah, you know, I don't see it. I don't see enough fire. And then basically blows a horn, and then we go on to the next drill. And the next drill was close to the 50-yard line in the stadium when we we're in there and, uh, I chase after him. I'm literally like, I'm full bore. I'm going right at him. I'm going to tackle him because I just snapped. I'm like, I'm, that's it. And, um, <laughs> he turns around, he turns around right at about the time I'm about ready to hit, you know, like drop my shoulder and, um, uh, I'm like, I'm going to kill this old man.
3: <laughs>
5: and, uh, he turns around and looks at me. And I stopped deadpan. I literally had to stop at a full bore, and I just stopped as fast as I could. And I'm just face-to-face now with him, and he looks at me and goes, what? And I'm like, nothing, coach. (laughs) You know? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You know, and I just was like, I learned so much about myself. I mean, right there, it was, hey, you know, talking about control, you know, controlled rage, all these other things that were taught, the game teaches you, and you either get it or you don't. But for the most part, most all do. And it teaches you about yourself, you know, that whole sort of thing. You can't let people get under your skin. Um, and especially ones that are trying to make you better, which is all he was trying to do. hmm. You know, so, and that's what, he would, that's what he did. He made us all better.
2: How did he respond every when, day when you told him that story on the golf course?
5: Oh, he laughed. He laughed. he said he told a couple stories of other guys that went after him and he talked about Black Monday and when he took on the whole team and got his ass kicked and
2: <laughs> wait you, know, you have to explain that
5: uh oh, your dad didn't tell you about the um the o sixteen team the first so when they first came in, uh there were a bunch of seniors, so they were rebelling against coach Mallory being hired, and it was a very tough uh Two days, August, and Matt, Coach Mallet had enough of it, and basically said, "All right, turn his head on backwards." And at the end of practice, said, "Anybody want a piece of me? You come at me right now." <laughs> and one of the seniors who had a real big problem with him being hired, and, you know, Coach White's being gone and whatnot, dropped his shoulder, and went right at him, and, and 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 hit him as hard as he could. <laughs> oh my goodness! And so. Mallory dropped him, and then went another and another, and then ultimately he got his ass kicked. but you know the story sounds really good when you're I mean when you're a freshman walking in the door or even from a military academy like I was when I had a bunch of uh, Vietnam vets screaming at me at the age of fifteen, um, you know, even I was impressed i'm like he's he's just one tough s o b yeah and uh you know. At the time, I, I hear the story where our you know, coach, you know, kicked all their butts. But uh, the real story is actually, you know, ultimately <laughs> you can't take on that many guys. But, uh, I, you know, it's very wo- – to us, to me, it was very Woody-esque. I mean, this is old school. You're talking about this doesn't go on today. I mean, this is – and he was never, you know, he was never as um, – He was never like Coach Hayes in a lot of ways, but he was so like Coach Hayes in a lot of ways, too. I mean, his speeches, um, the way he enunciated things, um, I mean, you know, just the videotapes of Coach Hayes that I see, and then having him be a family friend and, you know, would stop by to see my dad. He would sit on the couch. When I was a kid, I was nine years old, and he taught me. He's like, what do you know about war and history? I'm like, nothing. Yeah. He's like, son, you know, he's like, John, what are, you, what are you teaching this boy? You're not teaching him enough. So he sat with me for an hour and a half and talked about uh, the General Patton versus Rommel and why I needed to study history. And I'm just like, I'm listening to Coach Hayes, Coach Hayes, <laughs> you know, take an hour and a half out of his day to talk to a nine year old. Wow. You know, yeah. I still have to this day. It says, come to the old sign, the big old thing. It says, come to Ohio State, we. Coach Hayes, hmm. it's on my wall in
2: my office. So you've you've talked so, about it. you've talked about a few of them already. But what are what are the biggest lessons that you took from your time playing for Coach Mallory that you still to this day like see yourself kind of using and utilizing and maybe even passing on?
5: Um, I think well, there are a number of things. Obviously, you know, you can talk about. Honor, integrity, you know, honor yourself, have integrity, um, be the best man you can possibly be. Um, but what I learned about Coach much later in life, and so thankful that we have all had him um, around, you know, I mean, you know, 83 years old and doing so well for so many years is. You know, his connectivity. I mean, what he taught me was pay it forward and do it again. Um, connect those that need connected. Help others with a simple gesture. I mean, how he would pass on a film of a kid from a small school in Indiana, unbeknownst to anyone in the press or anywhere else and pass it on to those either people in the news or the media or coaches in the know that needed to see it or the scouts that he'd had that you know had gone through his tree. If you look at this tree, it's it's really unbelievable and it's not like a bunch of big names. It's just it's regular people doing regular things in a spectacular way. Hmm. and i just i just really relish that he taught all of us to you know make a phone call um there's a kid down here in, you know northern indiana i want you to take a look at what do you think you know it comes from a good background his parents are good he's a good kid or you know it's a it's a tough home life, but he's a really good kid. Let's see if we can, you know, can, is he any good? You know, can he make it? Will he help the team out? You know, I mean, that's what, that's what coach Mal's been doing all his life. And I think that's going to resonate. I was telling somebody, um, one of the guys I played with just recently, then we're all coming back. I mean, I can just go on and on on the names of everyone coming back, but, I was like, it's, I would think Bloomington is going to feel a little bit like what happened when Elvis passed. Um, just because, I mean, he was obviously extremely popular, but as far as the people that are just going to show up because Coach did something and connected someone, mm-hmm. I don't think we'll ever get to those stories. Yeah. You know, yeah. I hope you do. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and maybe that's for another. But, um, You know, those people that are just helped by coach somewhere, sometime, I think only probably, I don't even know if Ellie and Mrs. Mallory, I don't even know if she'll even know everything, you know, everyone, but she certainly would know a lot, that's for sure.
2: Yeah. Wow. Well, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time and lending your insight. It's been uh, it's been quite a treat just hearing so many different perspectives and hearing all the stories from everybody and all the all the lives that Coach touched and all the lessons that people learned because of him.
5: Well, we love the man without a doubt, and uh, we all love the family as well. I mean, I just uh, I really feel for Mrs. Mallory and the entire Mallory. You know, family and the boys and all those grandkids, and you know, I'm hoping to see them all uh, this weekend on Saturday. And I hope your listeners can, you know, come out um, and see see a spectacle at the stadium there. I, I would assume I don't know how many they're expecting, but I would I would I would think it'd be a lot.
2: Yeah, I would too.
5: You know, and I just uh, it's just great to see. In the meantime, we'll all try to rally around the team that we have here and, uh, you know, this program we have and, uh, support what we have. I hope everybody does that as well, because that's, uh, be nice to see those stands full of, uh, some, uh, you know, some butts in the seats.
2: That's great. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Greg. I really appreciate it.
5: Thanks a lot, Jared. Appreciate it. Talk All soon. Right.
2: I'm joined now here on the Assembly Call by Steve Hirsch, uh, who also played for Coach Mallory at Northern Illinois, which is where Coach Mallory was before he came to Indiana. Steve, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for being with us.
6: Well, thanks for having me.
2: So, Thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. We appreciate you being here. So you played for Coach at Northern Illinois. Just tell us a little bit of what it was like to play for Bill Mallory.
6: Well... Playing for coach was, it was an experience. Um, I I was in his first recruiting class at Northern Illinois. Um, I came in the fall of 1980, uh, and I was fortunate enough to, uh, be a starter my freshman year. So I was like thrown into the fire real fast and playing for coach Mallory was totally a total, total wake up call because coming out of high school and, uh, you know where coaches were. I had good coaches in high school and everything, but nobody was a disciplinary like Coach Mallory. Coach Mallory was the ultimate disciplinary uh, coach. He, you know, if he said be somewhere at eight o'clock, um, if you weren't there at 7.55, you was late. <laughs> um, you know, Mallory it was, time. At Mallory time, that's right. And and uh, you learn that real quick. Um, so you know, coming out the blocks, it was it was it was real tough because he, he, he was hard on us, you know, um, to change that program around. I know uh, prior to my freshman year, uh, NIU was uh, like under 500. And so uh, going into that freshman season, which was his first year, he wanted to set a tone. And then so, you know, he did that by just really pushing us. So coming out of the blocks, that was my first experience as far as what I thought about Coach Mallory was just how tough he was. Um, you know, how tough college football was going to be. Um, and and that's, that's how I started off.
2: Well, and that, that's that been such a theme that has run through, you know, all the stories that we've heard about Coach and, and people that I've talked to is how tough he was and how hard nosed he was. What was it about Coach Mallory that allowed him to be so tough on you and to, you know, ride you guys and be such a disciplinarian? And yet, you know, you Took it and not just take it, but you know now look back on it almost fondly with appreciation, and, and it really helped to you know mold you into better players and better people. Like, what was it about him that allowed that to not just be something where you're like, you know, shoot, I don't have to listen to this, you know, where you actually took right. the lessons instead of just you know kind of maybe got upset at how they were delivered.
6: Yeah, that's the thing. See, it was at the, when you're going through it, you 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 don't you kind of don't like them, <laughs> you know. We you know I, when I was going through it, I mean, I, I wasn't a fan of coach. Coach Mallory because he pushed me so hard and um you know so and, and not just on the football field even even with our books um like i said my first my first year um i was i was able to i was fortunate enough to be a starter and um I wasn't ready for the college uh study Studying, you know i didn't I, I really didn't know how to study coming mm-hmm. out of high school, and so my grades kind of fell off my first year because I was trying to make that adjustment. So playing, you know, division one football and adjusting to college life. And it was real tough. And uh, my grades wasn't where they should have been. And I'll never forget. Um, after the first season going into the, when we came, we, we came back from winter, winter break, coach Mallory brought me in his office and we had a one-on-one. He would meet with all the players one-on-one. After winter, after uh, you come back from winter break, and he, he ripped me so to the point where I was like, he had me more scared of him than my father. I was more scared of him than my father because I, I, my grades, you know, and it was all about grades. It was nothing about football. He was, he was just everything I talked about was all about grades, and he was like, you know, I don't care how good of a player you are, and if you don't get your grades up, um, you're not going to be here anymore. And you're going to be going back to Pontiac, Michigan. That's where I'm Mm from. He says, you 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 know. Then he that's when he would throw his, you know, lock your jaw. You need to lock your jaw with your books and and get after it, just like you do it on the field. I'm not tolerating this. You know, it 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 was a no nonsense. It wasn't no pity thing. It was just like get the books done, period.
2: You know, you hear people talk about college sports these days and, you know, they'll say the term student athlete and, you know, kind of put it in air quotes as if it's not a real thing, but it sounds like with coach Mallory, like you were expected to be as much of a student as you were an athlete and that the story that you just Absolutely. told kind of attests to that.
6: Absolutely. We had, uh, they were, they were, they monitored everything, but when it came to our books and that's what really helped me out, um, we had study hall as freshmen. Well, everybody had – freshman, sophomores had to have – had study hall every evening for two hours, and that really helped me a lot. Um, and then we also had they – would, they would monitor our – they would check our attendance. Mm. So he had a coach – I think he had a, one of the grad assistants would go around and check to see if you were in class, you know, periodically. And if you were caught missing class, um, Coach Valerie had this thing that you called Dom Patrol And we would get up, if you had to get on down patrol, you'd have to get up at like five o'clock in the morning. And, and then you go to the stadium and then he make you run. It may be five. It was going to be a minimum, at least, at least five miles, five miles to 10 miles you were going to run. Mm. But what the thing about that coach Mallory ran with us. I mean, I mean, what, what coach, and then he also would make the position coach, Mm-hmm. Um, so if your, you know, the position coach would have to get up and also be there, they wouldn't run, but they would just have to be there.
2: I, I remember so when my dad you got... had to go to those.
6: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I had yeah. your dad up quite a few times, <laughs> <laughs> especially in my early days. And, uh, he didn't like it at all. You know, he didn't like it at all. And so, you know, but the thing is, Mallory would run, of course, Mallory would run with us and he'd run every step. And, um, we always ended up at the stadium. So no matter how long the run, we'd run all through the DeKalb, the whole town, at, at 4, 5 o'clock in the morning, and then we come back at the stadium. And, and right there, the last stretch, that last, going into the uh, Husky Stadium parking lot, Coach Mavis would be right there with us. I mean, he's in his 50s.
2: Yeah.
6: We're 18, 19-year-old, and he's keeping right up with us, step for step, all the way. It was amazing.
2: Man. So what are, I mean, you've already told some great stories, but when you think back about your time with Coach Mallory, what is, what's just like the quintessential Coach Mallory story or the one that jumps out to you first when you when you think about those times?
6: Well, there was, yeah. It's, first, I mean, it's, it's I have so, so many of them. So let's see. First, I, I would say, you know, one thing, I mean, one game, we were in Eastern Michigan. This is, this is it's, it's kind of a good and bad story, but, um, we, we were winning and, uh, there was, uh, one of the guys, um, his father had passed away on the team.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: And so we didn't know how to tell him and we knew about it. They told, they told the coaches and everything. So the coaches told us at halftime, and everything. So we didn't want to tell him because, um, uh, you know, he tried to finish the second half and we were away. We, we weren't in decap. And so the game was going along. We were doing pretty well, but we weren't playing well. It was one of those games where we didn't play well at all in the first half. And Coach Mallory was just livid. He had, at halftime, he came in and he was just yelling and screaming at us. And then he started banging on the chalkboard. And he was telling all the things you would hear about Coach Mallory, all the little sayings. He was saying, My golly, you guys, you know, you got to lock your jaw. You got to get out. The high- can you tackle this on your chest? And, he just banging on on the chalkboard, and he put a crack in the chat the chalkboard. He was hitting it so hard, and then all of a sudden it just got super quiet, and he passed out. He fell out on the ground. Whoa! We thought he had died. We thought he had died, and so all the players was looking at each other. All the coaches is running to up to Coach Madeline. and he just laying on the floor. And I mean, it went from just pandemonium in the locker room to complete silence. You could hear a pin drop. So all that happened is was just, he just had a rush and he just passed out, you know. And then he got up and he 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 picked up right where he left off. When he stood up off, when he stood up off the floor, he picked up right where he left off, yelling and screaming like he never even passed out at all. We was like, oh "That's my good right.
2: <laughs> Gee whiz! <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, are you sure? Was... Like, and so he he wasn't doing it for effect. Like it, I mean, he legitimately no. just like passed out.
6: He passed out. Oh my goodness! Out. Um, our trainer, Wayne, was Wayne Bobble was our trainer on on the team. And Wayne and and all, a lot of other coaches. I don't know who all ran around him. I could even see him no more because everybody was around him. And then all of a sudden, they everybody just you could just see Coach Mallory just sit up. He was out for maybe not even a minute, maybe thirty seconds or something like that. You know, wow. it was almost like he just fell and just had to get collect himself. But they said he had passed out. And when he sat up. He got up on his feet, and he just picked right up where he left off started screaming and yelling at us again. I was like, man, this guy is unreal.
2: He's, wow. he's not human. <laughs> so, so what ended up happening with that game, and what ended up happening with the player who lost his father?
6: Yeah, we ended up winning the game, uh, I believe it was something like uh, 30-something to three or something like that. We killed the team, and it was even close. And then, yeah, we also told uh, uh, the player about his dad afterwards, and he was from uh, Alabama. He was a linebacker. And Bubba McLemore was his name.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: And uh, we we did end up telling him about his dad afterwards. So, Man. Yeah, that was tough. You know, it was, it was a kind of a quiet. It was a good win and everything. You know, because we had two buses. We had an offensive bus and a defensive bus. Mm-hmm. Coach Mallory always rode on the offensive bus. And Coach Novak, our defensive coordinator, he was with us on the defensive side. So our bus ride home that day, even though we won the game, it was kind of quiet because of Bubba, you know. <laughs>
2: So the the majority of the people listening to the show are Indiana fans, and so you know may not be Mm -hmm. fully familiar with the success that you guys had at Northern Illinois. Um, But you said you came in uh, in nineteen eighty, right? And then, if if memory serves me correctly, you guys went to the California Bowl in eighty two or eighty three.
6: Yes, eighty three, which is my fourth year. Yes, Um, was that was that the only uh, bowl game? That you guys went to that was only one okay. yes, while we were there. During Mallory's tenure uh, there that's the only one we went to. Okay. Um because we had I mean, my first year we were seven and Second year we were uh we were, we were under five hundred. Uh three and eight. We were three and eight, my second my sophomore year. And junior year we were above five hundred, I think something like seven four again and then our senior year, which was his Nazi Mallory had his he had a years from the, you know uh, recruiting yeah the kind of players that he liked so by the time we were seniors he had it was all his guys you know and well um, we just that that year just we just knew something was going to be it was we knew that was going to be a special year from the beginning because it started in the summer mm-hmm. um, coach Mallory and a lot of other coaches uh, your dad coach coach Morris um, they really talked to us to and to stand. On campus during the summer, and they talked about taking a couple of classes to kind of help get you to the point where you can graduate either on time or early, and then um, working out mm. uh, They just thought that it would be real beneficial for our team Uh, now that wasn't you know we couldn't do uh, structured work it couldn't be uh, organized workouts with coaches or anything like that, so everything had to be done by the by the players so myself and guys like Tim Terrell and. Jeff Sanders and, and, and uh, Ricky Mitchell, uh, Rich Burns, uh, we, we stayed up. We stayed there on campus, and we worked out. We worked out every single day, um, no coaches or anything like that. We would run. We used to run in the summertime from – we had an apartment right off of uh, Annie Glenn Road, and we would run from there all the way out to um, the toll gate. We would touch the toll gate and run back to the campus. Um, I mean, it was, How long we was would that? do that at like two, it was like about 10, about round trip, about four and a half, five miles.
3: Wow.
6: But it, we would do it at like two o'clock in the afternoon. We wait till the hottest part of the day and we just take off running. And then we always finished up at the university apartments and we just dive in the pool. And then we do <laughs> that. We did that in the mornings and then we'd work out lifting weights and play b- basketball in the afternoons. We'd go run, uh, the North 40, we we, we did a lot of exercise every single day that we were there in the summer. And by the time we got there in the fall, um, you you had, you know, 20 of us probably just we were in just great shape, you know. And that's what started it off. Uh, So my senior year, we we started off at Kansas and went there as underdogs. They were a top 25 team. Uh, Coach Malley was just like, I mean, he, he had us so pumped up for that game. When we got there, we we could care less. They had like six or seven uh, preseason All-Americans, and, and and we we were just like nobody's coming in here.
3: Hmm.
6: And uh, we ended up we end up beating them. Vince Scott kicked the field goal at the end of the game. We beat them by three. Then we go to Wisconsin. The week after that, we lost, but we it was a game where we clearly could have won it. Uh-huh. Um, and then that season, just you know, he just had us. He just kept us up because and and then we did it by quarters, which was the first time that Coach Mallory did that. You know. Prior to that, we, we, we really never looked at the season in quarters. So he said, the first quarter of the season, you know, I just want to you know, we can win one of these two games, Kansas, Wisconsin. We can win just one, and then we open up in the in the regular in the conference,
3: mm-hmm.
6: and we and if we can win those two, that would be great. And that's how that's exactly what happened, you know. So then that's what got us going. So we started believing, you know, he he had us believing that, hey, this okay, so this is fine. And then midway through the season, we just kept winning. We didn't lose again until till towards the end of the season, mm-hmm. and uh, it was against Central Michigan. And you know, Coach Miles just put that—he just put that belief in you know—and then we were so prepared, you know, because we knew we was out working. We knew we was out working people, you know, because yeah. when we played, guys were getting tired on the field and things like that. We weren't, you know. And then, and it was all—it was all an extension off uh, of Coach.
2: How was your relationship mm-hmm. with him different as a senior? I know one of the things that my dad talked about was how much Coach Mallory leaned on his seniors and expected of his seniors from a leadership perspective. How how did you feel like your relationship with him or the expectation was different when you became a senior?
6: Yeah, um, my senior year, uh, I mean, by then, um, I was just, I had a lot of confidence. Uh, that was the first thing. Um, I don't think you could have, no matter who we played against, I, I wanted to make sure that the players we confident going into the game. We knew we were talented. We knew we were tough enough to play with anybody, but everybody, I want everybody to make sure to believe that when we stepped out there and that, against that big, big eight school, Kansas or that big 10 school, Wisconsin, that, Hey, these guys, they, they no different than us. And I wanted to make sure that the juniors, the sophomores on that was on that were playing would, um, had that confidence. So, and, and we led by example, the seniors will lead by example. You know, we, you know, in practice, we would be in the forefront of, of every practice. You know, uh, I was a defensive back uh, coach Morris so that. He was my position coach. And by the time I was a senior, you know, I, I wanted to be an extension of him. Mm-hmm. So pretty much most of the stuff that was going on, especially as far as the plays were concerned, he didn't have to do a whole lot of coaching because we knew. And then I think that he knew that I was going to take whatever he wanted me to do and apply it to, to the rest of the guys.
2: My last question for you, Steve, and I really, really appreciate the time. This has been wonderful. What mm-hmm. is, what is maybe the 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 primary or, or or you know one or two lasting lessons that you take or that you took from your time with Coach Mallory that you still find yourself reflecting on or passing on today? Uh,
6: Coach, I, mean, I really. You know, when I say this, it's not a cliche. You know, a lot of people say, you know, um, you know and then right now it, it's tough for a lot of us because, you know, we're in a grieving period. Yeah. Um, this interview right now for me is kind of tough. You know, I'm reflecting on it, but I, I'm, it's almost kind of happy feeling. You know, Coach was the kind of guy, and this, you know, he, he made us feel like, you know, being a man, uh, you know, life goes on. And, you know, you, you have to, this is part of life. And things like, that, you know, it, it's a setback and or it's, it, it may be a negative, but he always wanted to turn a negative into a positive. He didn't dwell on it. You know, he would be like, you know, what we're going to do, you know, if you get knocked down, you know, how are you going to get back up? You know, you, you, yeah, everybody get back up, but how are you going to get back up? You know, get back up and become better learn from what will knock you down. And so this is a part of, you know, I and mean, this is right now, just, you know, in his death, um, you know, me, you know, speaking about him. I mean, it's it's such a privilege for me, for me to even do this about Coach Mallory because Coach Mavis is a legend. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just, you know, I was just at his house last year. Uh, we went there. We, we golfed with him, uh, him and his wife, Ellie. We had dinner at the house. We spent the whole weekend with him. Um, so you, you have a guy who as tough as he wanted you to make, you know, think you, he was, he was, um, for him to come full circle, you know, all these years later, um, showed another whole side of him, you know, how, you know, he could be nice and how he could be so warm and welcome to you. You know, and he, he was just another average, a, a good guy. You know, he wasn't the the tough nose, you know, that's how we thought of him at the early age, you know, because mm-hmm. he, he, he instilled that toughness. But Coach Mallory had another side to him. the off, off field that uh, only the, I think the players all saw that. You know, as, as we got away from football, as we got older, and we went back, and we saw him in a different light. You could see that Coach Mallory. Hey, he was a great man too. You know. Yeah. Um, and one thing too, I want to say, uh, when Coach Mallory, after my senior year, uh, I got I got a phone call from a representative from Indiana University. Um, I was at home on Christmas break. And I had no idea that coach Mallory was even thinking about going to transfer from Northern to Indiana. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting at home and finally admission. And I get a phone call from, from somebody in the athletic department at IU and they, they were asking me a lot of questions about coach Mallory. Mm-hmm. Well, how they called me, why they called me. I had no idea, but, um, that conversation, I was on the phone for about 30 minutes with them and they were asking me a lot of questions about him. and, I had nothing but good things to say about him, even though even though I knew I'm like, wow, this is coming off the, out the blue, and he's possibly about to leave Niu, but I still talk very highly of Coach Madden, and that was because of the way he he uh, treated me, um, you know, my four years at Northern, and on the field and off the field.
2: Yeah, wow, that was wonderful, Steve. Thank you so much for taking the time and okay. lending your insight. I know it's uh, like you said, it's a tough time, but on, on one hand it's also somewhat a happy time you know reliving some of these memories and and kind of spreading yeah. you know and sharing forward some of the lessons that uh that you learned from yeah. coach mallory so i really appreciate it
6: yeah okay well I, thanks for having me jared i appreciate you
2: All right. Well, I am joined now on the assembly call by Willie Brock. And Willie, you played for Coach Mallory at Colorado. Is that right?
7: I did. I played uh, all four of my years with Coach Mallory from 74 to 77.
2: Okay. 74 to 77. And then did you you coach under him as well or just play?
7: I did not. No, I just played.
2: Okay. Excellent. So when you think back to your time playing for Coach Mallory, what, what was that experience like for you?
7: Uh, I've always told, told people that, uh, when I played for him, uh, he was tough. I mean, it was hard to, hard to understand what he was getting at, but, uh, in the end he taught us more life lessons, I believe than he, as much about as he did as much about football. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, there's so many things I came from a very strict father. So when I got back there, I kind of wanted somebody to let you run a little bit. And Coach Mallory, you know, he he was strict. And if you, there was no black and white, or it was all black and white, there was no gray, you know, you did it his way or it didn't work.
3: Mm-hmm.
7: And once you get it figured out, uh, everything went well. He's a great guy, second father to a lot of people.
2: What was it about Coach, and what you just said is a theme, you know, that I've heard from a lot of the people that I've talked to, what was it about Coach Mallory that allowed him to, be so tough and be so demanding and you know not have any gray, but yet you were still able to accept the lessons and respect him and build a relationship with him? Because that seems like it would be a tough balance to strike.
7: You just hit it right there. It was a respect. Uh, in every, co- every team situation I've ever been in, if you didn't respect the guy that you were playing for, it was really hard to you know, to play for him and to play hard. I knew in the end, while I played for him too, I knew that if there was a tough situation, he always had a back. And he always did. He didn't believe in fighting on the field. I've seen him throw his hat off and die right into the middle of a defensive offensive lineman fight (laughs) and just start throwing guys out. Yelling, this is not what a team does. This is not what a team does. But when you see a guy like that, and you know that if it's fourth and one, you know, and you got to have it. He's there with you. He was playing every play with us, so I think everybody played just that much harder for him because of what we knew he would do, how he would handle it.
3: Yeah.
7: Or we hoped how he would handle it. I mean, he's to see him to see him dive into the middle of an offensive defensive line fight and just start throwing you know two hundred sixty to two hundred eighty pound guys around like rag dolls. <laughs> Oh, wow,
2: that had to yeah, be a I mean, heck of scene.
7: <laughs> oh, and, and everybody just stood back and just went, "Oh my God!" You know how that's incredible because there are fifth flying. You know, guys, full pads, helmets, everything, and coaches right in there. No, this is not what a team does. And that was early. We didn't fight that much after. You know, you know, second to fourth years when I was with him, because we knew, hey, we were a team. We were a team, and the way we were going to win was being a team and being together. Yeah. You know, the all for one, one for all kind of thing. But uh, that's how we won.
2: Well, you just told us one great story. <laughs> what are some other stories that come to mind when you, when you think about your experience with coach Mallory?
7: Uh, one of the, I mean, in Colorado, one of the things that we did, one of the things that he did was he put the entire football team in a dorm. Now, I've told him to his face that is the smartest thing he ever did because it brought us together as a team. And to this day, if my kids, i got a 26-year-old son and an 18-year-old daughter, if they were stuck in a city that one of my former teammates played was living, I know that I could call them and my kids would be taken care of. Mm. And all of them feel the same way towards me. They know if their kids are here in Portland, Oregon, that if their kids are stuck, they need something, all they need to do is call, and we got it. Every one of us feels that way. I also told him it was the dumbest thing that he ever did. <laughs> because you get a bunch of, you know, 18 to 21, 22 year old kids in a dorm, and not one of us had money. We had to entertain ourselves.
2: Mm-hmm.
7: And thank God there was no social media.
2: <laughs> Different time back then. <laughs> oh,
7: my God. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Coach Mallory's stories. You know, to see the fire. Somebody put a, a video out uh, just recently. One of the Indiana guys, I think,
3: mm-hmm.
7: uh, about Coach Mallory when they, you know, they lost to Michigan State, but uh, yeah. he went into the Michigan State locker room, and and congratulated them on that. And to see the fire in his eyes was just unbelievable. We beat Oklahoma one year. And to see that it was the same fire that he had when we beat Oklahoma, as in that, and it was years, you know, after we beat Oklahoma. But he still he had that fire and he had that passion. It was unbelievable the passion that man had.
3: Yeah.
7: And when we would go back for reunion and stuff, geez, we went back for his 80th birthday, and uh, he still had it. Uh, One of our teammates had passed away. The coach got up and started talking about him. You know, he used his hands a lot when he talked. And he had that whole thing going. I mean, it was just like you you chills up your back. But, oh, my gosh, are we going to throw pads on and go out to play? (laughs) Because that's how fired up he got. But he was that way about football. He was that way about his family. He was that way about his life, about how he lived life. Mm -hmm. And you talk to any player that played for Coach Mallory, and I promise you, they can say this, that Coach Mallory always told you, if you were five minutes early, you were ten minutes late.
2: Mallory time.
7: Mallory time. And every guy on that team at at Colorado, at Northern Illinois, at Bowling Green, wherever he was, at Indiana, everybody lived on Mallory time. He left he left our starting tailback and our starting linebacker walking out of the hotel lobby when we were in Miami. And all he said, I'm sitting in the, he was riding in the offensive bus, and he said, Bussy, roll. And somebody uh, Gary and, and Tony are coming out. He said, Bussy, roll. And the guy went, yes, sir.
2: Man. What, so uh, what ended up was, was that before a game?
7: Yeah, we we're on our way to the game.
2: <laughs> so, what ended yeah. up happening?
7: Oh, the SID brought them, but
2: but they didn't get to ride on the, the bus. Point, the
7: point is, the point is, it doesn't matter who you are. Yeah, you know, no one's bigger than the team. Yeah, and when when it's time to go, it's time to go. There's so many Coach Mallory stories. I mean, he was the, you know, he got to Colorado, and his love of the outdoors, I think, changed immensely. And uh you know, I talked to his kids and all that and they you know, they loved being in Colorado. It was a shame that they let him go, but that's a whole different story. Uh, one of the one of the last ones that you know, on his eightieth birthday we were all there. And uh we had gone downtown Boulder down on Pearl Street. We were just sitting around talking and having fun and and Barb, his daughter, came down to see everybody. I mean, she was like a little sister to us that the, all the boys in the Mallory family were, were like little brothers to all of us because mm-hmm. they were there. And that's how close the whole thing was. But Barb wasn't, you know, Barb was by herself. And we said, hey, where's Coach and, and Mrs. Mallory? And she said, them oh, they went back to the hotel. And, you know, they're just going to call it a, a quick night. And that where, Somebody said, well, can you call them? And see if they will come back down. So they came back down. And we sat around and we confessed all the stuff that we did. <laughs> When we were playing at Colorado, and I have never seen Coach laugh so hard in my life. (laughs) I mean, he would go, "Oh, you guys didn't do that." Yeah, we did. Yeah, no, you didn't do that. And Mrs. Mallard right along with him. I mean, it was it was like confessing to your dad. Yeah, but it was uh, it was nothing. We never did anything malicious or you know any of that kind of stuff. We just it was guys entertaining themselves.
2: But maybe the kind of things that could have gotten you Dawn Patrol if he had known about them?
7: Oh, good night, yeah. (laughs) I'm sure there's a Dawn Patrol in heaven right now. (laughs) But I know know some guys that are on it. But Uh, uh, Dawn Patrol, that that 880-440 thing, that that put a lot of fear in people's eyes. mm -hmm. You know, you had had the one shot to make it. If you didn't make it, if you make your 880 time and you didn't make your 440 time, um uh, you had one more shot in the afternoon after after morning pra- or afternoon practice. We'd go down before dinner down to Bolton High School, and coach would make him run one last four forty man If you could make your time, you are off, but if you didn't, you run down patrol and he he uh he ran it he ran down It's not like he passed it off to an assistant, he was the guy out there running them mm. Mm-hmm. I went out at one time. I never had any troubles making mine. I don't think your dad ever had trouble making his times either. But I went out one time, and I was running around the field at Folsom. Just just running, you know, off-season workouts, stuff.
3: Mm-hmm.
7: So I was out there running, and Coach Mallard came in about my second lap, and he goes, hey, do you mind if I run with you? And I went, oh, not at all. He said, how far are you going? I went, oh, I'll probably go three miles. He said, okay, I'll go with you. So said, we're running. And we're running. We get to two and a half miles, and the pace starts picking up. (laughs) And the pace starts picking up. You know, it took I forget how many laps it took to do a mile, but um, say it was six. The last three laps were almost a dead sprint. He was not going to let me beat him. And I wasn't going to let him beat me. And it was, I mean, that's how competitive he was. We're out for a jog. Yeah. And the last, you know, half mile comes down to a sprint. Holy geez. And this is the guy I play for. That—that's the kind of guy anyone could play for.
2: Do you remember who won that race?
7: I'm not going to say one way or the other. Cause <laughs> no, I don't. So okay, but I know it was—I know it was a sprint.
2: But you—you you mentioned something interesting there. My dad had Dawn yeah. Patrol.
7: No, no. You're, I said your dad never had to worry about making his time. I know, he but,
2: always made his right? But but he had to show up for Dawn Patrol, so there ha- there have to be stories behind that that'll be interesting to hear someday.
7: He had to show up for Dawn
2: Patrol. Yeah, well, I'm saying he must have done something to have to go to Dawn Patrol. There must be oh. th- there must be some kind of stories there of, of something he did to I, get I, Dawn Patrol. Yeah, I'd
7: like to I'd like to hear about that one, but <laughs> uh, I never thought he had any trouble making his times. That was the I mean, if He got in trouble at Dawn Patrol too, but. Your dad never got in any trouble that I can remember. Oh, okay. That that's but, what
2: I, that's what I was getting at. That's what I was getting yeah, at. I no. was like, I, I want to yeah, know those better, stories. Yeah,
7: no, if he I don't think your dad ever had trouble making his time.
2: No, probably not. Well, he
7: was always in great shape. Yeah. He's one of the smartest guys I ever played with. Yeah. We had two guys, him and Tom Casson. They bad they could play. Yeah. They could play. Super smart.
2: So as you so, As you reflect on your time with Coach Mallory, both playing for him and you know as your relationship evolved and developed and all the the time that you got to spend with him afterwards, what Mm -hmm. are the lasting lessons that you took from that time and that still impact you today and maybe that you've even passed on to your kids that you directly attribute to the time that you spent with Coach Mallory?
7: Biggest thing is Mallory time. Yeah. Uh, But I got that from my dad. So, you know, and I think what is the passion? You know, if you commit to something, you know you're all in. You don't don't take anything halfway. Commit all the way. I've had uh, high school teams around here ask me if I would come coach their offensive line, and at the time I had young kids. And I went, I can't. And they went, why? And I went, I can't be there every every day. You know, I got kids I got to take care of, and and I would be more than happy to come help you. you teach kids how to long snap, you know, work on some stuff in the summertime. But I cannot be there every single day. And then we don't need you here every day. And I said, you don't need me here every day, but the kids need me here every day. And to me, that's super important. That's what Coach taught, is if you're going to commit, commit all the way. Then mm. I look at, you know, I had two brothers that played there too. So my older brother played two years with Coach Mallory, two years with Coach Crowder. I played all four with Mallory and Stan played three with Mallory and one with Fairbanks. So we spread, you know, over the whole seventies. mean, mm-hmm. Pete started, Pete was with your brother or your dad. I'm sorry. Uh, they came in and said they graduated 72 and then Stan graduated 76 from high school. So we were there from 72 to 80. There was a Brock on the field. Yeah. And, and we thought I was with Stan, you know, just a little bit ago. And, uh, we talked about Coach Mauer. We've talked about him, you know, since he passed. And most of the time it's laughing stuff, you know, and the stuff that he used to do. And, but Stan, Stan played 16 years in the NFL. He was the head coach at uh, West Point. And he attributes it all to Coach Mallory and Coach Malou. Wow. You know, the, the commitment, the everything. Anything that Stan does, he commits to wholeheartedly. He's all in. And Pete, the same way. They're all in. I don't know if that's from Dad or from Coach Mallory, but we had two very positive male figures in our life. Yeah. You know, I see guys that, uh, some of the old teammates, you know, that came out of L.A. and stuff, and they're so thankful that Coach Mallory got them out of L.A. And I read those stories and I go, man, I didn't know, you know, if they had. You know it was a tough deal, but for that for the players. But to thank Coach Malley for getting me out of l a and teaching me you know life lessons
2: mm-hmm.
7: um, It's phenomenal.
2: Wow. Well, Willie, thank you Definitely so much that. for thank you for taking the time and sharing your stories and your insight. This has been wonderful.
7: Yeah, no problem.
0: How you doing,
2: son? Hey, I am doing well. Thank you so much for taking the time today to talk with me about Coach Mallory.
0: Oh, yeah, sure. Your dad had, had texted me or something and mentioned it to me, and and your dad and I used to be roommates on on the road. We were road roommates for I don't know one year or two years. I, I can't remember what it was. Maybe. Oh, one you year. were. I don't remember. Yeah. Well, we, we all wrote, you know, on, uh, on, uh, road
2: games. Yeah. So. Uh, very cool. And you went.
0: To, you went to Indiana University. Yeah,
2: I you? did. Yes. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I remember that. I, I, I followed you, you. You or your brother, or both of you, or somebody. You know, had some podcasts and mm-hmm. different things, and and uh, I've, I've kind of kept up with it. what your dad's put out there in the, the media, the multimedia about the some Of the things y'all you've done, or, or or whatever, and your grandkids, and yeah, I mean, his grandkids, <laughs> I get I get to see that all the time, and yeah, and uh, I, and I knew your mom when she was in school in Colorado and all that, so yeah, uh, you, your mom, uh, your, da- your dad's mom and dad, yeah, you know, uh, uh I, I married a girl that went to Fairview that that your dad took to prom or something, you know, oh, I mean, really, <laughs> it's a small world, it's oh, yeah, it's a small world, wow, wor-
2: very yeah. cool, very yeah. cool. Well, yeah, well, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, you know, maybe oh. just 10, oh, 10, okay. 10, 15 minutes or so. Um, this is, and I, sure. I'm recording this for, for one of my podcasts. Um, it's a show called the assembly call. Okay. It's for, it's for Indiana basketball fans, but since there would be no show if, uh, if coach Mallory hadn't taken my dad with him to Indiana, I thought yeah. it was a, a more than right. reasonable use of time to do an episode dedicated to coach Mallory. So, so sure. that's what I'm doing right. and just getting some stories and, and some lessons learned from your time with coach. So, okay. All right, we'll just hop right into it. All right, I'm joined Great. now by Chuck McCarter, who played for Coach Mallory at Colorado, and and, and as he was just telling me, uh, roomed with my dad on the road uh, for one season. Uh, Chuck, thank you so much for joining us and uh, coming here to to share some some insight and some lessons on, that you learned from Coach Mallory.
0: Oh, you're you're more than welcome. I mean, it's, it's a privilege, and I appreciate you uh, reaching out to me.
2: So, what was it like? Playing for Coach Mallory. And what years were you at, Colorado? I was I was
0: I was in uh uh Coach Mallory's uh, first recruiting class at Colorado okay. and uh you know, went through their four years. And uh, you know, I I I posted this the other day. I I you know, I could have gone to Oklahoma or Texas or A and M or you know, uh I, I was in, in the Southwest Conference. I wouldn't have I wasn't a real big Texas fan. I wasn't a Texas a and fan, but you know, I thought the only school I thought about going to in Southwest Conference was Arkansas. I just kind of wanted to get out of the state, but I really wanted to play in the Big Eight and and uh, you know, Kansas and some other schools. and And so I, my my trip to Colorado was back then. You could take a number of recruiting trips, not like today. And so I'd never been to Colorado in the wintertime, so I thought, hey, you know, that'd be a that'd be a pretty cool. Uh, That'd be a pretty good, cool re- recruiting trip. I knew nothing about Bill Mallory or his staff, or I knew that they were just hired in, and, and so uh, uh, I took the trip to Colorado. And Milan Vuletic, who was uh, our secondary coach at Colorado while I was there uh, for for three years, he uh, really liked him. And you know, I got up there, and and I came from a pretty disciplined uh, family. Uh, uh, my dad's a redheaded Irishman. And uh, you know, I I walked the line, you know, as, as straight as I could. Or he made me. And and you know, I got up there and I, I saw something in Coach Mallory that was a lot like my father.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, you know, and my father told me one day he said, you know, there there'll be a couple of men that come in your life besides me that'll have a huge influence on things you do later on in life. And uh, you know, that was true. And yeah, and I and I got up there and and you know. Like I said, I had no plans at all on going to the University of Colorado. And I got up there and I met Coach Mallory and and his charisma and and the way he was and straightforward and upfront. I mean it just it just I mean it just it just, it just sucked me in, you know. And uh I got back and said, you know, I I'm going to Colorado, you know? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So what was it like, you know, once you actually got there and it wasn't just a recruiting trip, but you were actually playing for him. What was playing for him like?
0: Well, you know, it's, it's I won't say it's really funny, but you know, I got there, and we, you know, I come in as a freshman, and 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 you know, we used to have to run this uh, uh, eight eight, uh, it wasn't eight eighty back then. In those days, it's an eight hundred now, and a four hundred, I guess. And uh, you know, I had to come in, you had to run your eight eighty under under a certain amount. Under I think the defensive backs and quarterbacks and running backs and receivers had to run it. Uh, the eight eighty under two. Thirty or two, two, maybe 220 and uh, which wasn't a problem but exactly 10 minutes later you had to run a quarter under 63 and so you know we're there you know this is like the second day there you know we're doing this testing we did uh, uh, weight lifting and stuff like that before and the next day we ran this 800 we went out of the track there in Boulder and uh, ran this 880 and 440 and you know, everybody made the 880 pretty easy but we, we had this one guy that and, you know I didn't know I was a freshman and it was a, a sophomore or I believe and his name was poly Potier and it was Sidney Potier's nephew. Oh, wow. And uh so we're after we and he's from he was from Coral Gables, Florida. So like I said, it's the second day there. You know, this is all new and and uh, you know, we've had a couple of intense meetings and so we get out there and, and we he's running this his eight eight hundred and he was you know, he was a defensive back and, and thin and and you know, he's sitting there running and he's struggling and all of a sudden, you know, he falls to the track and you know, it was like he wasn't in shape or anything like that. Well, anyway, he had sickle cell trait, and uh, he died. Wow. He died, and so oh you know, I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. Three days, we've already had a guy die. You know, I'm sitting there going, "Man, what?" You know, and I mean, it was it was a sad deal, and and uh, you know, just the, the, the public became very aware at that time of uh, athletes coming from uh, sea level up to the you know, I think a, a couple of years ago, there was a guy from the Pittsburgh Steelers that didn't come back and play the Broncos in a playoff game because yeah. he had that sickle self trait. So, you know, I'm there, I'm there three days and, and we had a guy die that I, you know, I didn't even know. And I mean, it was kind of like, Whoa, you know, this, wh- what did I get into?
2: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Holy so, moly.
0: But yeah, you know, but you know, Bill, he, you know, he demanded a lot and, and uh, you know, uh, as time went on, you know, I, I was, his fourth year was my senior. I didn't get redshirted and, uh, you know, we'd, we'd gone to the Orange, won the Big Eight Championship and gone to the Orange Bowl my, uh, my junior year. I mean, uh, my, my sophomore year, first year, I think we went six and five. Next year, we went nine and two and played Texas in the Blue Bonnet Bowl and our only two losses that year were Oklahoma and Nebraska and then we lost to Texas in the Blue Bonnet Bowl and then the next year, you know, we went uh, eight and three and, and won the big eight and, and represented the big eight in the Orangeville Bowl, played Ohio State. And then uh my senior year, we started off five and oh I believe and, and uh we're ranked number three in the country and uh had some injuries and had some things happen and you know, we had a guy that had a a brain issue with when, uh, Tom Perry uh had a um blood clot on the brain after the nebraska game and you know just had some rough deal and you know after going nine and uh after going to the orange Bowl the year before starting off five and oh and some of the injuries we had and, and and just some bad luck and and uh you know mallory coach mallory was uh catching a lot of uh flack in the media and the newspaper and stuff and which i guess is pretty common but you know it as it, 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 well, I didn't. We didn't feel like it was right. And the seniors, you know, he it, the last game of the season, he all he always made it all last home game, which our last home game had to be against Kansas State, and it was our last game of the season. You know, he'd been catching all kinds of crap in the newspaper about you know this or that or whatever, and and so you know one thing Coach Mallory did every once in a while, uh, just kind of like Woody Hayes, he, after an emotional game or something, you know, a lot of times he would he would. uh keep the players from talking to the media after the, uh, after the game, you know, and, and which I kind of, I didn't understand at the time, but now, you know, I see that, you know, you can say something that can get misconstrued or something. And, and, you know, he was really, he was really protecting us, I guess. And uh, so, you know, that, that final game, you know, th- last week was all about seniors and we had the thing we called senior hit, which was a respected thing that, you know, you picked an underclassman who you, you know, uh, respected and, and you kind of passed it on to them and it was, you know, it was a pretty neat deal. And so we told him, uh, that, you know, we we would, you know, we would like to, we didn't think it was very just all the, the stuff he was, uh, taking in the media, you know, all the, the, all the crap that was being written. And, and so we asked him if, uh, if, you know, if the, after the game we could, you know, hand the media, and keep him from talking and let no one talk to the media, just hand him and say, you know, we gave him a hand and piece of paper that said, in respect for our coach and, and, uh, our team, you know, uh, we're not going to allow, uh, our, our coach or coaches or any players to talk to you. Uh, we don't feel like you've, uh, been just to him in the newspaper and we're, you know, we're standing shoulder to shoulder with him and, and showing our, our commitment and, and, uh, you know, we, uh, we're, we're not going to let him talk to you after the game. And uh, he said, well, yeah, you can do that as, as long as you win. And So we're like, okay. Hmm. So, you know, we won. We won. And, and there was about me and uh, I, I guess there was probably Brian Cabral and a number of players, uh, Leon White, and George Osborne, and Tom Perry. You know, we all went down there and we just handed the down, – we down to the media room. We just handed all the media people and the TV people. We just handed them a piece of paper that said, you know, Uh, we stand behind our coach and we don't think you've been fair to him in the newspaper. And, and uh, uh, we're not allowing him to speak to you today. And none of us will be speaking to you either. Thank you. And and anyway, so, you know, that, that probably was the the catalyst of what got Bill Mallory fired in Colorado. You know, Eddie Crowder was our uh, athletic director. And, you know, so the next night we had a football banquet up at the, uh, the uh, student center or whatever you the uh, the ballroom up there and Eddie Crowder got up there and and said uh, he apologized to all the media people that were there that you know if he knew that this was happening he would you know he would have put a stop to it that would have never happened. And uh I think there's Leon White got up and said, you know, we haven't seen you at practice one time, but yeah. one time in four years. Don't you come around and tell us what this football team's gonna do. And I think no matter what Coach Bill Mallory did the next year, that you know he, he he was a he was a player's coach and and you know he respected us and and as long as we did what we said we'd do and you know uh, that probably cooked this goose in Colorado because you know he went on he's a great coach he went on to be successful everywhere else he went and he was yep. successful at Colorado but but uh, you know I, he could have gone probably ten and one the next year and uh Eddie Crowder was was gonna get rid of him. It was just you know yeah. I, and I and, you know and I've told coach i talked to coach about it before and, and he said, Man, you know, I, I said coach, you know, I, I really think that we're the ones that got you fired and he's like, you know he goes, it it, it, it wasn't a fit, you know. Uh, it it just you know it, 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 it he, he didn't believe in the way Bill Mallory did things and and uh, you know, they, they, they struggled with their relationship and and, uh, you know, I thought Eddie Crowder was a pretty inept athletic director because they just of really Bill Mallory brings in Chuck Fairbanks and the program goes to, you mm-hmm. know, they, they, lose, they lose all kinds of sports because of funding and money and everything else. And, you know, the program went totally downhill.
2: Yeah, but, it, took, it took them a anyway. long time to get back on solid footing. And look, right. the, the no, same thing, the same thing happened at Indiana. I mean, he had unprecedented success at Indiana. They fired him, you know, just after a couple of bad seasons, and the program right. has never been able to get anywhere close to that. So, unfortunately, right. they didn't, yeah. they didn't learn their lesson from Colorado. <laughs> well,
0: I guess not. You
2: know, you know. But uh, it, you you said, know, I, go ahead. Well, you said something interesting there because you described Coach Mallory as a players' coach. And certainly yeah. that is a theme, you know, from all the people that I've talked to. But it, that term is interesting because you often, when you think of a player's coach, and the way that it sometimes is used nowadays, it's often used to to maybe describe a coach that isn't a disciplinarian, but is more of a oh, you no. know kind, kind of let the players do their thing. But you describe Coach Mallory as a player's coach, even though you know you and everybody else that we've talked to have talked about how demanding he was and how much of a disciplinarian well, he was. Well, what allowed him to do both right. of those?
0: Well, you know. The disciplinary—I mean, th- th- trust me. There's 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 a lot of times in uh, uh, my four years at Colorado that you know I I thought the man was crazy. I thought I thought uh, you know he, he 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 demanded so much and and some you know I say he's a player's coach. At the time you're playing for him, you know y- you you might not think that. And I could and and there's a lot of times I didn't think that at the time. But as I, as a you know, as an eighteen, to 21, twenty-one, twenty-two-year-old young man, you, you don't understand what what life lies ahead of you, and, and what in life lies ahead of you, and and you know, he he's teaching you things and life, lessons, and and uh, he's setting an example of of the way you should be, and, and how important you know, if, if, if you're ten minutes if you're ten minutes early. To one of his uh, meetings that he calls, if you're 10 minutes early, you're you're five minutes late. Because, I mean, he, 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 you know, you just, if he had a meeting at 1 o'clock, you best be sitting down there by by a quarter till. Otherwise, you come walking in there at 10 till, he's going to jump your butt. And, uh, you know, it's just about being, you know, I say a player's coach, and and like I say, at the time, you know, I, I might not have felt that way, but I say it as if you played for him yeah. all the things and all the lessons that you learned and, and, and what you learned about life and people and, 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 and how you treat people and, 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 and hard work, you know, n- nothing, no, nothing takes the place of hard work. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I think at the time, I, I maybe at the time you're playing for him, you might not realize he's a players coach, but after you get through playing with him, you realize he was a player's coach.
3: Yeah. And you know,
0: and they call and here here was the thing at Colorado. He he went from uh you know, the, the group with with your, your dad and I and, and and our whole deal is is when when I came in as a freshman to Colorado, they put us all in a, a dorm. And it was just the football team in this dorm. And these guys had been out living off campus in his apartments under Crowder and, and and previous the previous coach you know they lived they lived in a dorm their freshman year then they got to live with players and and so you know and, and like that you don't you don't get uh, you don't get the uh, camaraderie and, and the closeness and you know uh, I don't care if you were black you were white you were Samoan you were Hispanic you know we we all lived together we all lived in the same house we just had separate bedrooms. And you know we all ate, the, and so our group at Colorado, and I, there's been lots and lots of people, and before me and after me, tell me that that Mallory's group of players, core players, you know, we're closer than any group that's ever been there. You know, because
3: mm-hmm. like I say,
0: we lived together, we slept together, we showered together. You know, we lived in the same house. You know, separate bedrooms, and and you know, like I say, black, white, Hispanic, Samoan, we 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 came together we were family we were a family he developed a family atmosphere at colorado i just
2: i just got done talking with willie brock and he said the exact same thing oh okay <laughs> the exact same thing okay. so yeah and that's but that but that was a through line through all of coach Mallory's stops was the family atmosphere you know that was developed yes. with the players with his staff uh and that you know he that certainly went beyond just the time that he was coaching, you know, and that that's what has yeah. been so unique is to see, you know, because I think a lot, you know, a lot of times coaches might pay lip service to that or talk about it, but what happens after right. guys graduate and what you can see right. with coach Mallory is, you know, the relationships that, that all of the ex-players, uh, you know, have had with him, you know, had with him for such a long time, um, which is right. so special and, you know, and shows you that it was more than just about football.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and there's been so many times. In fact, I was looking at his card he gave me. Somebody wanted, uh, one, of the, one of my teammates wanted uh, his address to send Ellie uh, a note because he's not going to be able to make it. And so I was looking at his card yesterday that he gave me. Anyway, it's got his address in Bloomington. It's got his address in Naples, Florida. And, you know, he's like, I can't tell you how many times he's invited me to, and, and, and granted, you know, I, I wasn't a great player, and I didn't play in the NFL. But you know, I didn't play in the NFL, but I did play in the NFL because the guys that I played with, we were so close that I lived my professional football career through those guys, which I had none. But but you know, but anyway, it didn't matter who you were. He'd say, "Man, you need to come down to Naples, Florida. We'll play golf and." And, and we'll do this, and I guarantee you, you know, his house was open to anybody that, that, that ever put on the uniform for him, and uh, and, that, and that probably even involved trainers or, or uh, equipment guys or anything. I mean, he, he cared about each and every one of them, and, uh, and you know, and Mrs. Mallory was the same way. It's, it's, it's funny, when I went on my recruiting there, you know, none of the coach's wives were there. They were just kind of living in a hotel or whatever and, you know, trying to get a recruiting class in there, and, and the first time I met uh Ellie Mallory and I really didn't even know who she was we had we, we used to always have a family uh on a Sunday during two days all the families would coaches would bring their kids and everything you know and we'd all eat together and, well when 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 Polly Potier died you know we had a memorial service for him in Boulder there and that's the first time I ever met Mrs. Mallory you know and and you know I didn't even know her she's up giving me a hug and all you know and, and everything and and uh you know it was just uh uh, yeah, he 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 cared about everybody that was associated with him or his program.
2: My last question for you, Chuck, and I really appreciate your time today. Mm-hmm. When when you think about the lessons that you learned from Coach Mallory, what which of the lessons are the ones that have endured the most? Maybe that you you know still reflect on and use in your life today, or even that you've tried to to pass on. Wh- which ones of those have endured well,
0: you know, the most? you know, I'm I'm going to tell you a story. It, it might take I hope, hope it doesn't take too long, but as long anyway, as you need. <laughs> we, 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 we went to play Oklahoma State my uh, junior year, the year we went to Orange Bowl. And, and Stillwater, Oklahoma, is a hard place to play. I don't care what kind of team they got, you know, back in the day or whatever. It's a, it was a hard place to play. It still is today. And so, you know, I had – my knee had been kind of bunged up. And so we were getting ready to get on the charter, and the trainer took me down to, to the orthopedic doctor's office first and drained my knee and, and put a little gold juice in there, you know, and, and so we go to Oklahoma State because I've been kind of bunged up, and and uh, uh, so we, you know we get to Oklahoma State. and The next morning it swells up again, so they drain it before the game, and and uh, uh, you know we go out there and and uh, we 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 play Oklahoma State, and they play this very very tough. And and uh, anyway, we go down and we're, we're about to score to go ahead. And really, you know, it, it was we, we needed to beat them to win the the Big Eight Championship, I and mean, we had to win the next week against Kansas State, but. Anyway, so we go down there getting ready to score. To go ahead. They were behind. Go ahead, touchdown. And uh, with, with Jeff Knapple throws the ball to Billy Waddy in the end zone, and he gets intercepted. With, and there's like a minute 12 to go in the game. Well, the guy, you know, the guy that catches the ball for Oklahoma State, and, I mean, I don't even know if he's even welcome back there anymore. All he's got to do is fall down and the game's over, you know. He decides he's going to run it. He kind of caught it over by the sideline. He decides he's going to run it out of the end zone he takes about three or four steps out of the end zone, and Billy Waddy knocks the ball out of his hand. We recover on the three yard line, and uh, you know, two plays later, we scored, and you know, end up winning the ball game. And uh, so, but you know, we didn't play real good that day. And the following Tuesday, Monday, we did a lot of running, and on Tuesday, we we were in full pads, and and you know, and, and Coach Mallory had, had uh, you know had I think we had twenty seven missed tackles that game, or something, you know. And, so we were out there doing, we had done our calisthenics and we went through these called A B drills for his form tackling and tackling and, and stuff like that. And so I sat in there and and then we did this goal line tackling where you put your heels on the you got a couple of cones about, I don't know, three or four yards apart, and the guy runs at you and you, you take it down any way you can, you know, you hit him. And, and so, you know, I and it's about, about three-quarters speed. And so the guy comes at me and I freaking nail him and and uh you know, and all of a sudden here comes my head goes. God dang it, McCarter! That's not good enough. We missed twenty-seven tackles last week. You know, and I mean, you know, he comes over there and he goes, "We're gonna go again." So I sit there and go, and, and you know, and and I go and I I hit the guy and I mean I take him down real good. About this time the horn, you know, I, and so I've gone to it. Ah, that's not good enough. Go again, you know. So you know, I've gone about about ten times, and you know, you're getting up off the ground and you're exhausted, and so you know, I, I look and Coach Cordy, I Coach Cordini was my coach at the time. And I was like, you know, when he heard Mallory holler at me, he goes, uh oh. And he only did this probably three times in my career. He made an example out of something. And and so he said, Man, it's your day to day. He said, just you gotta go with it. <laughs> and so you know, he came over there and we did all this tackling. So the next thing you know, the horn blows, and the offense and defensive get around and they're doing a big circle, and all I'm doing is sitting there coming and he gets running backs and they start running at me and I'm hitting them. And you know, I get the point to where you know, I mean, I can't even, I mean, they go by me, and I just kind of throw my arms out, and they just run right up my face and get up again and go again. And, and uh, so after, after I've gone about 21 times, you know, he blows the whistle. And says, oh, I've seen enough. You know, we've got to get better at tackling. So I'm pulling myself up off the ground. I mean, I can't hardly get up. I mean, I've felt like I've been hit by a car or three. And so I'm sitting there, and I, I looked at Coach Cardini. I said, man, I said, why did I? What did I do to deserve? It? I said I didn't miss a, I I didn't play a whole lot in that game myself. But he, I go, I didn't miss a single tackle. And I said, well, you know, he said, you know, he said, you know, why he did that? And I said, why? He said, because he knew you could take it. He he said he knew you could take it, and 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 I was like, wow, you know, I was like, you know, he knew you could take it. You wouldn't walk walk off the field. You wouldn't quit. And he said, you know, I thought, wow, that's, you know, even though as bad as I felt, it made me feel good that, that you know, he, he made an example out of me, but he knew I wouldn't quit. So uh, that, that's probably my, <laughs> one of my biggest memories. But I mean,
7: I, I barely made it through the rest of practice. <laughs>
2: Man, I bet. I bet. So yeah. did that his belief in you that you wouldn't quit, did that, did that change how you viewed yourself? Yeah. Did that give you more, more confidence belief in yourself?
0: Yeah. yeah. Right. And then, and in my senior year, we had, in the, we had three games left to play. I made two, two games. Yeah. And I would say that I separated my shoulder and, and, and I thought, man, I'm done. You know, I, I I'm good. I'm, I'm done. You know, no more of this. And he called me in his office and said, uh, he said, you know, you, you're, you really can't injure your shoulder more than, uh, you know, more than it's already injured. He said, you know, we can we can take care of it before the game and at halftime. And, and uh, he said, you know, you go through practice fairly easy during the week. And and uh, he said, uh, you know, I, I really need your leadership out there on the field these next two games. And I'm thinking, well, you know, my, my leadership, you know, I'm like, coach, I, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just a normal player. I'm not, I'm not a big leader. And he said, well, you'd be surprised how how some of these players look up to you and your leadership and and what you do. And, and he said, you know, I really, he said, I know you, you you could not play and, and, uh, but he said, you're not going to hurt your shoulder anymore. And, you know, we'll take care of you. And, but he said, I really need you to play these next two games. And I was like, you got it. You know, you, you know, so the next two games, I got shot up before the game. I got shot up at halftime and, and I, the the pain after the games was, was almost unbearable, but, uh, you know, uh, he made me feel that I was someone special. And, and even though, uh, I wasn't a captain or a star player or anything, he, he made me feel that, uh, uh, I was a very important part of the team. And, and, uh, uh, you know, I mean, that, 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 that meant the world to me. So,
2: in in hindsight, have you ever questioned your decision to play in those games?
0: No, sir, not one bit. I, 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 if I had to do it all over again, I'd do it exactly the same way hmm. with I, the, with the same man.
2: Did you ever talk with Coach Mallory about that later later on? Oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah I did. You know, and you know, and he's uh, he, you know. I, I, He's, you know, he, he, he. I said, you know, Coach, I, you know, I was just a, just a regular Joe out there, you know, and uh, he's like, no, he goes, you know, you weren't. He said, you know, these guys, you know, they respect you, they, they care about you. You, 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 you took the, the, the program was more important than you were, and, and you showed that, and, and uh, yeah, he, he, he's told me numerous times, and we've had some great talks, and, and uh, I mean, lots of funny ones, and. And trust me, there were things where we got in trouble and did some things that you know we shouldn't have. And and uh, uh, you know, I mean, there's there, there's all kinds of stories. And and uh, but uh, yeah, he's he's always made me feel that you know uh, I was I, I was I was just as important as a player on our team as an All American was. So yeah. you know,
2: wow. Thank you for sharing that story, Chuck. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. Really, really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your insight with us.
0: Yeah, no, oh, I, I'm more than happy to do it. Yeah, you know, I love the man. And-
4: he earned his love through discipline, a thundering velvet hand. His gentle means of sculpting souls took me years to understand. For the music and your stories of the road I thank you for the freedom when it came my time to go I thank you for the kindness and the times when you got tough And Papa, I don't think I said I love you near enough Legacy to the leader. Of the band.